Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance and Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. The year is 1986. Talk to me, Goose. And Amy, let me just tell you something. You take my breath away. Ugh, Paul, I feel the need for speed. You know what? If you feel the need for speed, then definitely get on the highway to the danger zone. I am not leaving my wingman. Shirts off, volleyballs grabbed, let's play with some boys. The movie Top Gun. And welcome to Unspooled. I am Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear. And this is the podcast where we are looking to find the 100 best movies ever made. We are going down different alleyways. We are finding different genres, finding hidden gems that you may not have known about, but now have become your favorite film. But this week, we're doing something a little bit different because I think, Amy, you and I love Legacy sequels. I know for you, you're like, get that cast back together after 40 years. Let's see what they can do. Can we recreate the magic? So we're doing this episode for you. Oh, that's so kind. And I I just can't wait to be watching Downton Abbey movies in 2052. (laughs) Well, Downton Abbey is a weird one because, you know, I feel like in 2052, they'll be in now, right? Downton Abbey would be like, uh, it would, would be caught up at that point. Be 2020, 2022, right? Maybe. We'd we'd probably be about the Mad Men era. It started in 2010 with the singing of the Titanic, 1912. Right now, they're just entering the end of the 1920s. The movie takes place, uh, the new one, right at the end of the 1920s. It's about um, a silent film crew coming to Downton Abbey and discovering (gasps) sound. It's basically, they rip off the entire plot of Singing in the Rain. So at this pace, I think they'll be like Mad Men era in 2050. Ooh, I like it. Crossover potential. I think it could be really good. Um, You know, Amy, before we talk about today's film, Top Gun, uh, which has its own legacy sequel reboot, I don't know. I mean, it seems like a straight up sequel. You've seen Maverick at this point. 
Yeah, it is a straight up sequel. Okay, straight up great. sequel. No rebooting, but also it kind of feels like a reboot when you watch it. Okay, well, I can't wait uh, to talk about Top Gun, but I want to talk a little bit about uh, the reaction to Porco Rosso that we had last week. I think that people really were surprised that we picked it, but then really found a connection to this movie that I think across the board was surprising. Like, oh, I liked it more than I thought I would. Or, you know, this actually is one of my favorite uh, Miyazaki's, but I don't know if it belongs into space. It probably, uh, Totoro, like people keep on going back because it's not one of the most popular Miyazaki's. And I, and I just want to talk about this idea of popularity versus what might be the better film. We talked about this a lot during the AFI chat, like what's in the zeitgeist versus a movie that is potentially better than one that everyone knows. Right. I mean, it's so slippery. Like you could make the argument that for most of its history, Totoro was not the most popular Miyazaki. It came out before Porco Rosso, didn't make that big of an impression here in the States, only climbed a leader. So gauging something by popularity today is not necessarily longstanding popularity. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Everything shifts. Or like if you were talking about Top Gun in 1986, everybody was like, that movie is huge, but it's really dumb. And now Top Gun, a sequel is coming out and everyone's like, this is a prestige blockbuster that we need to take incredibly seriously. The zeitgeist is always moving, man. It's like a hard target. Well, you know, I was talking to Ioni Sky about this on my Twitch show the other day, and we were talking about the idea of how movies come back into focus. And one of those movies uh, is a movie that she was in, and also my wife, uh, June Diane Raphael, was in uh, called Zodiac. It's a movie that when it came out, people were like, oh yeah, that's, that's good. And then I feel like within the last five or six years, people are like, that's my favorite Fincher movie. That movie is amazing. And it wasn't the energy that that movie had when it came out. Not that it wasn't reviewed well, it just wasn't as beloved as it became. And I think that maybe part of that is our culture has shifted a little bit more towards mysteries and murder mysteries and, you know, these podcasts about unsolved crime. I don't know if that's part of it, or maybe it's the idea that Manhunter came out on Netflix. I can't quite figure out what it is, but this idea where a movie kind of comes back in and then all of a sudden uh, becomes incredibly popular. Right. Or sometimes it's a case of actors being taken more seriously later on for work they have gone on to do, which makes you go back and look at an earlier film they did and say like, oh no, this is serious. I should watch this with a lot of importance. It's like, I mean, everything is just moving around so much. That's why I think it's fascinating talking about movies and then talking about them again, because even my opinions can shift. Yeah. Well, I think throughout doing this show for four years, by the way, four years, we just had our four year anniversary. Oh my God. Isn't that crazy? Four years. There's like- four years. There's like speaking children who uh, were not alive when this. <laughs> One of them is started. mine. One of them is mine. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, in that time, the one thing that we keep on coming back to is the most influential films often are not received that well upon release. And it's a really interesting thing for me to think about this idea of holding down the creative fort, pushing forward against a trend in the hopes that you are going to be right eventually or that it is just good and people can't see that yet. And that's really, I think, really hard to do. And I think it's getting harder and harder to do. Yeah, I think that's really true. 
I mean, and I also think so much of this story for filmmakers trying to navigate this world of like, nobody wants to give you your roses at the time you made the film, or maybe they feel like they gave you too many roses for the last one. So they're only going to give you like a twig this time. You, you, so much of that, I think, is like looking at past directors and realizing even the people we think of as like heavyweights had movies in between that weren't received at well at the time and then came back around. Even Hitchcock was seen as like kind of a disposable thriller guy. Not as like the greatest filmmaker ever for most of his career. People just get reevaluated. And so it's strange because like sometimes I think the risk for creative people is you're looking around at this landscape and being like, I'm failing. Nothing's doing. Nothing's working. Oh, my God, I'm on the wrong track. What's happening? And you just never know how how things will shake out. It's so exciting. Well, I also think that in a culture where we constantly rail against, I need something different, something new. The reaction to something different and new often is, wait, wait, give me more of the same. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want that. <laughs> like, like, And I think going back to the Zodiac, there's a really interesting case you could probably make where Seven and Fight Club had an energy and had a pulse to it that is incredibly different than Zodiac. Um, and if you go in looking for those two films, you're not going to find that. And I know there's other movies there as well, but like, there is this idea like, well, Fincher makes this at that point. And it is hard, very hard to break that mold of what people want or expect of you. I think Jim Carrey definitely experienced that as well. Like, you know, and and whether or not those movies are good or bad, it's interesting. I think Cable Guy has had a renaissance, you know, that idea of like, well, he got $20 million. And that was the story. $20 million to do Cable Guy. I think Cable Guy is still one of the funniest weirdest movies um you know it's it's definitely in my my top 15 top 15. oh wow uh, yeah That's huge it we just, should do it then i've actually never seen it you haven't oh it's a really uh-huh. funny like there's no reason really why that movie should have gotten made but the performances in it are really really good now i'm thinking is it in my top 50 it, it it's really funny. It's really, really good. I don't know. Now I'm like, I'm in my head. Like maybe I'm overselling it. I'm, Your but ass is on the line, I Cher. know. I've if put it's it, number 16, we got I'll a problem. I'll stand behind Beverly Hills Cop. I'll stand behind yeah. Running Scared. I don't know. I, it's it's up there, though. It's up there. But I, 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 but I do like this idea of, and what we were trying to do on the show, is sometimes go under a surface that is a little bit more unexpected. Because, yes, Everybody keeps on getting their flowers for the most popular thing they've done. But oftentimes, that other one on the side might be the one that has a little bit more of that, like, secret sauce. Yeah. I mean, my God, even Citizen Kane is a movie that was sort of forgotten-ish, pushed to the side, considered a flop. And, like, then just regained its dominance as number one, like, in the 60s. And that's Vertigo, too, right? Yeah, and Vertigo too. And that's why, to me, like the outlier is something as exciting as Everything Everywhere All at Once, a movie that comes out and it's like, in that moment, anyone who sees that movie knows that it is a big deal, that it is like a a top 10 movie of all time movie that we got to see right at the moment. And I think that is so beautiful. I feel like a movie like that only happens to me once a decade. Maybe where a movie but, comes out and you can all it, people are just like astounded that it exists and nobody. I mean, it's not going to be like the artist, you know, forgotten about in the right. year. Well, I'm curious though because I'm often surprised at what 
fades from people's consciousness. And I think that that's going to be a movie that will be really interesting to see how it does when it gets more um, eyeballs on it. Because right now it still is in, you know, uh, a limited release structure where it is, I think, the most successful or one of the higher Mm -hmm. grossing A24 films. But I am curious, like, when other people find it, will it continue to carry over? I've had that feeling. It has nothing to do with quality, but it is... The longevity now is really interesting, especially in the time that we're in. I think it's harder and harder to have a film that people go back to because it's like, what's next? What's next? What's next? Even a show like Severance, a brilliant show, but now are we past Severance? Because it's like three weeks old and now we're, you know, it's like what stays afloat a longer time? And and I think this is going to be you know, in 10 years, very interesting to look back and see what are the movies from this era that pop. I'll make that bet. I assume we're going to be still annoying each other with our movie opinions in 10 years. So I'll just say uh, everything everywhere all at once will be a big deal in 10 years. Well, you, Downton well, Abbey will be like 1941 and this will be huge. Well, would you say that Sorry to Bother You has stuck in that in that range, because that was the movie that you were talking about. And you're like, this is the movie. This is the one. This is going to be the one that will be defining. Has it stayed there? That's 2018. It's 2022 now. I think it has. I think it's taken really? like a bit of a lull, Okay, you know, as happens. I think when Boots Riley makes another film, it will re-explode. Okay. And I, I and, and I by the way, I'm not saying anything about like, the quality yeah. of the film. I'm just saying yeah. it's interesting to see how these things pop up and go away. I just want to make sure yeah. I'm not but anyone I, thinks I'm slamming it. No. I do think everything everywhere is going to be bigger than Sorry to Bother You in the long run. But I also feel like, and this is me just crossing my fingers and being incredibly hopeful. I think that those two movies will wind up being touchstones for like people who are 12 right now, 16, 19, falling in love with movies. I think when they watch those two movies, those will be the movies that have influence on the people who are who grow up to make the next wave of movies. You know, these will be the ones they point to, kind of the way like John Carpenter has pointed to Howard Howard Hawks. Those will be the seeds for where film is going. And I think well, that's incredibly exciting. And I'm glad that you reached this moment right now because I think it's a perfect segue for us to put on our aviator goggles because Top Gun is that movie. I mean, Top Gun is a movie that... I believe, affected the 12-year-olds of our time. They got excited about, I mean, maybe to the wrong degree, they got excited about flying planes, not making movies. But I've talked to a handful of people where, and myself included, I've not talked to myself, but I am putting myself in this camp. Like, this is my first exposure to a movie that... felt real and had scope and it affected me. I couldn't believe how much this movie is a part of my DNA like because it was one of those 1999 movies. And I know this sounds crazy, but back in the day, you could go to your local supermarket and there are a handful of films, Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, Home Alone, Top Gun, that were like $19 when they came out on VHS. And that was unheard of. VHSs were like $120 if you wanted to buy a VHS. And we had it. I watched it. Like, I feel like it's the <laughs> first time I saw a sex scene. You know, and it was, and I want oh, to talk about some what other. A, what an awful sex scene to be your first sex terrible, scene. Terrible. <laughs> but, but 
but also kind of like perfect and pure for yeah. a certain time. Anyway, that's true. Like no I said, boobs, no boobs, just licking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So, Amy, uh, let's uh, kick it to Mach 10 and go ballistic as we unspool it. The year is 1986. The Challenger space shuttle disintegrates shortly after launching, killing all seven astronauts on board. The Chernobyl nuclear power station disaster causes the release of radioactive material across much of Europe. It is revealed to the American public that the president's administration illegally sold weapons to Iran in order to fund the Contras. And smoking is banned on all U.S. public transport. The unspooled movies of the year include Platoon, Hoosiers, Aliens, Little Shop of Horrors, and today's film, Top Gun. Amy, who's in it? What is it about? And I'm betting that the number one song has to be a song that was featured in this movie. I don't know, but tell me. (laughs) Top Gun. It is directed by Tony Scott, credited to writers Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr., but it is predominantly the brainchild of producers Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, and their lead, Tom Cruise. Um, At this moment, Tom Cruise is an up-and-coming actor, but he exerts movie star clout on this movie even before this movie made him an actual major movie star. Uh, Top Gun is about a Navy pilot named Pete Mitchell, call sign Maverick, and his best friend Goose, who's played by Anthony Edwards. Um, They're nominated to enter the Top Gun Academy, which is this dog-fighting training school for the number 1% top best all-Navy pilots. Which, by the way, my uncle was in. Very cool. I have his Top Gun leather jacket. Ooh, I love it. I saw a picture of that. Oh, yeah. Um, Maverick is the most gifted and the most dangerous flyer at the Academy. He's not the best flyer, though. The best flyer is Iceman, played by Val Kilmer, who flies by the rules and is Maverick's number one rival to win the Top Gun trophy. But their competition has consequences. And so does Maverick's romance with one of his instructors, a brilliant civilian named Charlie, played by Kelly McGillis. Take a listen. to send you up against the best. Yes, sir. You two characters are going to Top Gun. I feel the need. The need for speed. For five weeks, you're going to fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You guys really are cowboys. I don't like you because you're unsafe. That's right. I am dangerous. The wild card flies by the seat of his pants. I guess when I see something, I go right after it. It takes a lot more than just fancy flying. Tell them in this school is about combat. Top Gun debuted on May 16th, 1986, and became not just a huge hit, but the biggest hit of the year. It affected everything. It affected naval enlistment. It affected sales of Ray-Ban and leather jackets. And it, of course, affected the career of 24-year-old Tom Cruise, who went from being seen as like, you know, a kind of talented, broke New Jersey kid who might be maybe like some offshoot of the Brat Pack, to having his own star on the Walk of Fame by the end of that summer. Wow. Um, Oh, it's massive. Uh, Tom Cruise has actually never, I think, managed to truly shake his image here of being like Maverick, this like cocky badass. But that is never who Maverick was to him in the first place. Uh, Tom Cruise always saw this movie as a study of masculine insecurity, of a man who is desperate to prove his own worth, of a man who, when alone, 
would definitely be singing along to the number one song on the Billboard charts that weekend, a song about loving yourself for who you are. Yes, it is Whitney Houston and the greatest love of all. Pretty good song. 86 is an interesting year. That should be our movie book, Amy. 1986. Let's get into the music and the movies. I mean, so much stuff is happening. It's uh, Oh, yeah. And your platoon uh, example, right. the platoon comes out this year. This, These are the polls. The mood in the country for a movie at that time about war was in a platoon mood. War sucks. We remember Vietnam. This is awful. So a movie like Top Gun, that's like, hey, maybe the military is fun again completely considered out of step and was not going to be considered and not going to be huge. People were like, I don't know. That's not the movie that I think we want to see or that I think other people want to see. Well, let's just put it out there right now. Like, I don't think this movie should have worked, but it's one of those films where you take a slightly half-baked idea, you cast the shit out of it. You put one of the best directors for popcorn films ever at the helm. And that's Tony Scott. And I want to talk about Tony Scott just for a second. Like, I think Tony Scott is truly one of the most underrated film directors out there because he made quality popcorn movies. And no matter what you saw, it was enjoyable on some level, right? And you can imagine this movie in another person's hands and it just not having this feel and this energy, even rewatching it, I was like, oh my God, like this gets me pumped up. And this is 1986. And I've seen a little bit of Maverick and that movie blew my mind where they're putting the cameras in the cockpits. And I would say what, maybe 25, 30% of this movie is like really in the cockpit. And most of it is uh, studio in the cockpit. There's amazing flying scenes though, but Tony Scott. Oh yeah. I mean, I'd like the Well, there's a whole story about that, but it's like, basically the story is like almost every actor besides Tom Cruise uh, puked when they went up in the cockpit, so they couldn't use any No, I thought the only one who didn't puke was Anthony Edwards. Oh no, it's Tom. Oh yeah. You did. You wrote the book on Tom Cruise. (laughs) I can't argue with you, Amy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say that he also didn't puke, I guess, but like basically all the other footage they had of everybody besides Tom Cruise, they said was unusable. That like maybe maybe Anthony Edwards is one of the guys whose eyes were rolling back in his head and he looked like he was going to pass out. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, like Jerry Buckham was like, none of our in-camera stuff worked at all uh, besides Cruise. So Cruise got his, his uh, close-ups. No, but to your point about Tony Scott, which I totally agree, even Tony Scott is not Tony Scott when he makes this movie. No. You know, like, he, this is the movie that turned him into Tony Scott. Like he He's had a commercial made, director, right? I yeah. mean, he makes some uh, a commercial where a car is racing a jet, and they're like, that's yeah. our Top Gun guy. Yeah, it's a sob commercial. And if you watch it, it is online. It basically looks like Top Gun. Like, half the shots are the same. Uh, but here's what it sounded like. It sounded like Top Gun, too. Nothing on earth comes close. But no, like, I mean, he had made a movie. He had made The Hunger. I don't know if you've seen The Hunger. It's like this sexy vampire movie with Catherine Deneuve. I believe we did it on How Did This Get Made. Oh, did you? 
Yeah. Oh, because, oh, because last weekend I saw Bauhaus. You know how like Bauhaus is in the movie? Like the goth Oh, band? yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. We saw Bauhaus. Oh my God, they killed. Oh, they killed. It was so good. It was so good. Uh, digression. But yeah, Tony Scott, he makes sexy vampire movies. He doesn't make like military jingoistic action movies, right? Also living a little bit in the shadow of his brother or no? What do you think at this point? Oh, for sure. I mean, the Scots have kind of an interesting connection at this point because like when they were putting, starting to put this film together, Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson, uh, Tom Cruise was just working with Ridley Scott. He was in England doing Legend, which was like a a nightmare. Um, I mean, as kind of like just a, a preface to Tom Cruise's career at this point, like he's done, you know, he started off by doing like bit parts and, you know, The Outsiders and um, Endless Love. You know, he plays like kind of a psychopath guy in a movie called Taps, which is about a bunch of kids who take over their military academy. At the end of that movie, Tom Cruise is like, he's like the fourth build, maybe. And he's the guy who grabs a machine gun and just starts shooting everybody and dies. Oh, I mean, wow. th- th- oh yeah, this is him. It's beautiful, man. Beautiful. So he's kind of seen as like this crazy person. And then he does Risky Business, which he's good in, but like people aren't thinking like, wow, that Tom Cruise is a star. They're like really focused on the director, Paul Brickman. They're like, Paul Brickman, you know, they're talking about him like he's, you know, Ari Aster or one of like the hip A24 guys. They're like, that guy's great. We're going to watch all of his movies. But Paul Brickman never really makes that many more movies. And so Tom Cruise is kind of kicking around and he decides to do Legend because he's trying to build himself a bigger career. But Legend, have you seen Legend? Oh, I mean, back when I was a kid. (laughs) Legend is ridiculous. I watched this movie too as a kid. It's like Tom Cruise goes to England to Pinewood Studios. He plays this character named Jack O' the Green. He's like an elf and he has a ponytail. And like Tim Curry is like the devil. And he's like stomping around in these high heeled boots. And he's over there for a year. And then at the end of it, he's like, that's a terrible experience. He's like, Ridley Scott didn't even need me in that movie. Like he just needed an actor in that dumb costume. And he doesn't feel like it does anything for him as an actor. You know, it doesn't do anything to boost his career. He's just kind of like dominated by all of the set desk dressing and the and the special effects. But that's where he is when he like signs on to do Top Gun. He's not huge. He's kind of like, I don't know, but, Sam Worthington. But I, I, like, he's, he's huge like, enough to say, I don't want to star in this movie. and And I wonder if in this moment, He's like, I don't want to be overshadowed by Jets. I just came from Legend. I don't want to now be like, the star of this movie is an airplane. But, you know, from how I understand the story, now, again, I'll defer to you. You wrote the book on Tom Cruise. Please tell everybody the book that you wrote on Tom Cruise. <laughs> so uh, this is the first Tom Cruise movie we're doing here on the show. I want to make sure that everyone tell knows. I'm excited. I'm like, oh my God, I have so many yes, things to say about Tom I know. Cruise. So I, you yeah. can contradict me all you want because you'll be right. But what is the book called that you wrote on Tom Cruise? Just so we all oh, are on the same uh, page. Sure. It's called Anatomy of an Actor, Tom Cruise. And uh, it's published by Cayeta Cinema. All right. So and it's got a big picture of him on, on the cover, which I like. It's a great cover. Like, hold it in front of your face and then just care, pretend that you're him. From what I understand, though, is Tom Cruise didn't want to do this. And what they do is they bring him to like an Air Force base and they go, watch this. And in very Tom Cruise fashion, I think it jazzes him up like you can do barrel rolls. This is what this thing looks like. And he got so pumped about these machines. And Tom Cruise is a guy who I think 
has a known love for motorcycles, uh, who I think sees this movie as capturing a part of Tom Cruise that has become in many ways, the driving force of what we know of Tom Cruise. Now this, I am fully in, I'm going to fly jets. I'm going to, (laughs) I'm going to learn how to, you know, do a zero gravity jump out of an airplane. Like whatever he is doing, he's putting himself in the way of it. I think there's been a lot of press this week because Maverick premiered a can and, you know, someone asked him, like, why do you put your life at risk? And he's like, well, no one asked Gene Kelly why he danced. Now, while that has some issues because dance doesn't, like, you know, risk your life, I will say that it seems to me that his passion is to put himself in these positions, these positions we don't normally see. And I, I would imagine that just, I, I felt that way watching these Jets. I'm like, fuck, I want to, wow. Like, it just, it. <laughs> rewatching this movie made me go like this is one of the most amazing things humans have done like to be in these machines at this rate i don't know how much it even is realistic but i feel like it is it just really impressed upon me like how dangerous this job is and how elite you would have to be to do this job totally i mean yes 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 but yeah to fill in part of that story because you're definitely right about the outline. Like what is happening is that, you know, Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, these these like slick producers who did your favorite movie, Beverly Hills Cop. They had mm-hmm. just also done like Flashdance. They had matching jet black Ferraris at this time. I mean, I read, had, yeah. I read High Concept <laughs> and High Concept, I've, I've recommended it to a handful of people. It's all about Don Simpson and people like, Paul, that book is too much of a bummer for me. I love it, but- they are, I mean, very Don Simpson more than Jerry Bruckheimer. It seemed like Jerry was the guy who actually was making the movies. And Don was the guy who was like, Jets, Tom Cruise, sunglasses, where's the cocaine? Right? It just like it was a very like flash dance. We're doing a movie about a woman who dances. Like it's just like it just felt like logline. The idea of Don Simpson was high concept. What's the high concept pitch? And it was like, and that's what this movie feels like in spades. And you can see where it fails when they try to do Days of Thunder, which is Top Gun with cars. But anyway, go ahead. Days of Thunder is terrible. But no, I mean, that's exactly it. Like they go down there, they look around this naval base and they actually see that a lot of the pilots look like Tom Cruise. They're like, oh, it kind of reminds us of Tom Cruise, which is also what happened to Tony Scott. Tony Scott was like, I don't know if I want to do this movie. I want to do like a darker, like Apocalypse Now military movie. Mm -hmm. But then he looked at these Bruce Weber photographs of like military men, kind of like in white shirts and like sunglasses. And he was like, oh, my God, all these men look like Tom Cruise. So they were just like, he looks like the part. But this script that they have is basically Flashdance. Tom Cruise basically calls the script that they give him like Flashdance in the sky because it's really dumb as hell. Like in the original Top Gun script, it's like Maverick is super military. There's a lot of like war in it, but he's also got this girlfriend who's a gymnast, which is like super dumb. And he like read this gymnast girlfriend script and he was like, absolutely not this. He said he called it a kiddie ride, you know, because if you think about Tom Cruise, like one of the strengths of his career that I want him to get more credit for is that he's. When it is a romantic movie, he's almost always paired with somebody like strong and interesting. He mm-hmm. doesn't do a lot of like, I'm just with some girl movies. His, the women that he usually pairs himself with are like always really intelligent characters. 
he's been pretty good at staying more or less age appropriate throughout his career. So yeah, like even at this like young part in his career, he doesn't want to do like some dumb young gymnast girlfriend. I'm like fighting in jets kind of movie. He like said that when he read the script, you know, there wasn't a lot of character and that it had to be a roller coaster ride. And he thought that this could have been a kiddie ride. So he Mm. was really freaked out by the script. And he does this thing that I think is actually really daring. Like he goes to Simpson and Bruckheimer and he says, you know what? I might do this movie, but you have to give me three months to try to make this script better. I don't want to be in this movie that you've given me. Let me go down to Miramar. Let me hang out with these pilots. And if I can think of ways to improve this movie and to change the script, then I will do it. And that is like a crazy gamble when you are a 24-year-old actor who doesn't have that kind of clout to say that you, to, to, to make that demand. But he had that confidence and they they went with it. So it's like Cruz who goes down and he like flies with the planes and he loves the flying. Like he said, it's basically sexual. He's like, your thighs shake and your muscles are aching and you're sweating and your guts are clenching. Cue, cue that Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> clip about weightlifting. I feel it. I feel it. Right. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I mean, but this movie has that energy to it. I mean, there's a line in the movie and... I'm sure we'll break this down later, but like when they're about to get into like a dog fight, the guy's like, they're close. I can feel it. I got a heart on, you know, there's a lot of like sexual terminology, a lot of this like machismo, yeah, you know, at front this center. This all about dick. One of the guys like straight up when they get to Top Gun is like, oh, missiles gives me a hard on. I mean, yeah, yeah it's all like planes are dicks. Missiles are dicks. Like <laughs> we are dicks. Like that's exactly... How it is, but part of that is actually like Cruz's shaping of it because like he came back to them with like two major ideas. He's like, if we, well, three, he's like, if we do these three things, I'll do this movie. Like one, I'm absolutely not dating a gymnast. Like we have to have a character who's like very smart and compelling, you know? And so they come up with this character of um, Charlie, you know, this kind of civilian who's like also his instructor. Who is based on a real character, right? I mean, she is somebody that they met during this research. Uh, Her name was like Christine Fox, a uh, civilian flight instructor uh, where, you know, um, she actually rose through the ranks at the Pentagon. She retired in 2014 as the acting deputy secretary of defense, the highest post ever held by a woman at the Department of Defense. Yeah. She is huge. She is huge. And like, they didn't really ask her if she wanted to be the inspiration. It was sort of like Jerry Bruckheimer was walking around and like one of her bosses was like, 
Oh, yeah, we got we got we got foxy women in the military who are really smart because Christine Fox is actually also drop dead gorgeous. And they bring her in and they're like, you're going to be this model. And she's like, OK. And then she just sort of is. And she's like, they only tapped her in on set a couple of times. One of them was when Kelly McGillis was sort of complaining about her introduction to the military when she walks in and she is like wearing those like black seamed stockings that seem a little bit out of place. Mm-hmm. Kelly was like, hold on. Well, here, I'll let Christine talk about it. No say in whether or not they would model the character of Charlie loosely. I have to emphasize this loosely after me, but uh, but it, it did happen. And uh, I did spend time with Kelly McGillis. I spent it a full day with her talking about my work there, showing her around the base, introducing her to people. And I uh, did get an opportunity. I was She called me over to the set once to, uh, to do a little consulting, which is was kind of funny. It was, uh, uh, if you've ever seen the movie, for those of you who are listening who have seen the movie, there's a scene where she walks into the hangar. It's her opening scene and she's wearing black seam stockings. And, um, and so she called me over to the hangar where they were filming and I walked in and she comes right up to me and she sticks her leg out and says, would you wear these stockings here? <laughs> to go to work at Miramar. And I says, you know, I don't wear black seam stockings to work on a regular basis here in fighter town. And she said, see, I told you. And they said, and we don't care. But yeah, Christine Fox, total badass. Um, so yeah, that was one of Tom Cruise's uh, switches. Uh, the other one was that he didn't want to make a movie that was military, like pro military in a way. He didn't want to make a movie about war. He wanted to try to take this script. And instead of it being about, actual dog fighting as the focus he wanted it to be about more like competition like a sports movie well it's interesting you say that because i even found the idea of who they are fighting to be a little vague oh it's right? so vague they refer to it by the plane but not the yes, country right it, it, and yeah. it's i was watching i was like oh this i mean i think when yeah. people talk about the movie they go well they're fighting the russians but you don't really it, it's not really called out ever. No. You know, they call it a MIG. They call it, uh, you know, I saw one up close, but never a country. And it and it just seems like they're having like a pissing contest of like who's flying into whose territory. I don't know why the end sequence is more important than the first sequence. Like w- like what has transpired because they go back to the same boat <laughs> to do the yeah. same thing that they just did in the beginning. Like plot wise, it's a little bit odd because <laughs> yeah, we nothing has escalated. Nothing has escalated I, in my mind. We know there's somewhere like in the Indian Ocean. Yes, is that it's framed as like a rescue mission, like a boat is lost. But you don't ever have, see. You, you never see that see boat. The boat. And they never are like, oh, we got the boat back. They're just yeah, like, you shot no... down a bunch of people. You killed four pilots. Amazing. It's like, hey, you remember yeah. you practiced a lot, and now you actually got to shoot those things. And I will say one other exactly. thing too. Uh, like I was thinking about this last night. Top Gun, when they go and they're introduced to this concept of of Top Gun and what it is, they say, you know, uh, the military has gotten too uh, dependent on um, like weapons and missiles, you know, and this is teaching you how to do real dogfights. And in my mind, dogfights are with guns and very rarely are guns used. They're they're purely missile, like, like they're like, oh, it's the art of figuring out this. But it, it just seems like a computer, you know, like. It just made me laugh. Like, I felt like when they say dog fights, yeah. it's not like missile, like explosions. I like, know. 
I mean, maybe they mean just like underground bunkers that hit buttons like Dr. Strangelove. But I yeah. guess, sure, yeah. Yeah, sure. But no, I mean, in family lore, I believe mm-hmm. they are fighting Russians just because like my uncle is actually uh, one of the people up there flying some of the planes mm-hmm. from far away. And he always referred to it as like, yeah, I play a Russian. So I assume that they are Russians. Yeah. I mean, it would yeah. make sense for 1986 for it to be Russians. Yeah. By the way, if you watch the credits and you see uh, Dennis Sunshine D. Lucente, that is my uncle. Salute him. He oh, is my, my gosh. Favorite person. I love him. I was going to ask about this because it seems like when the movie starts with that amazing synth, that small synth, I got. You know, it just brings me back to everything. I love yeah. Simpson and Bruckheimer, uh, these movies, everything about it. You see this grain on the film and you're getting these amazing images of flight crews on a flight deck on an aircraft carrier and planes are taking off and we haven't met our main characters yet. Yeah, we and, don't see Tom Cruise's face for like five minutes. It's all yeah. just like, it's like kind of mythical silhouettes of planes and people like it's like you're watching like a a unit i think not like people like not like personalities it's like this is a team doing this job and it looks so epic in many respects that opening is an overture to the entire piece and uh like and i and i mean that in the best possible way because you are the music hasn't kicked in because once the film starts it goes into like a pop hit but in yeah. the beginning, it's just like that, that, that synth, that, you know, it's like, I actually pulled that music switch oh, yeah. because I think it's fascinating. It's like, it goes from like epic tableaus to then like the camera starts getting closer and the planes are on and you're like, wow, yeah. that's them. They're flying. And you just, you hear that energy shift. It's a little jarring, but it, it works. Right, in this moment, but you're seeing this crew, and you can tell that Tony Scott loves getting this footage. And I was wondering, is your uncle one of those people? Because these are all active pilots. Is he in the movie besides, you know, like, can you see him? Does he get, like, a close-up as one of the other pilots? Because they're, they're, you know, they're, they're always around different people, especially on the aircraft carrier. There are a lot of, it looks to me like real military. Yeah. I'm going to say probably like okay. he has actually only watched the movie once or twice. He didn't even bother to watch it for like a year because he was like, this is going to be dumb. I mean, oh he was gosh. there when Tom Cruise shows up. Like he remembers like take, they also were taking Tom Cruise out to a bar and they're just like, eh, he's just some Hollywood actor. Like, cause he wasn't Tom Cruise. It wasn't like, oh my God. I mean, these are guys who don't, you know, my uncle didn't watch a ton of movies. So it wasn't like, oh, the guy who's in legend, like that didn't mean right. anything to him. Um, but, but <laughs> I don't you know, think it, it meant a lot to a lot of people. No. And also when Tom Cruise shows up the first time, he is still like, he still has long hair from doing legend. So his hair is like long and it's in a ponytail and he kind of looks like a hippie. Uh, and nobody, nobody takes him seriously at, at the beginning. You know, when he starts flying more and more and more, he's actually quite good. And a lot of like his commanders, like Pete Pettigrew, who is like the naval advisor, well, they're they're like, yeah, this he Cruz could actually walk into this building and be a Top Gun. Like he has that kind of competitive energy. But I mean, to my uncle, the very premise of this movie uh, 
is ridiculous. And it's because of like this idea of a Top Gun trophy, you know, that there's like a, com- a competition within the school to be the best because that is not a thing. And it's like, Wait, actually, really? Oh, no, it's like antithetical to everything that the Navy want. The Navy is like, we are a unit. And so for to make this like to give the script this new thrust of being a sports film, you know, Cruz pushes to add the Top Gun trophy. But it is kind of what makes my uncle roll his eyes at this movie. It is like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, that's not at all how we would do it. Wow. Okay. All right. This is really interesting. Well, so there's no such thing as like a trophy for Top Gun, which I guess now kind of makes sense because when Val Kilmer gets it at the end, it looks really shitty. I mean, it looks like a trophy (laughs) that you might give a kid at a soccer match. Um, But, you know, it makes a lot more sense. But they have to do this sports thing. There's something about this movie that reminded me of Major League. And and I want to say something about this movie as we start to break it down. This movie is very good and very bad. And I love it on both levels. Like, it's a trash can fire when you start to, like, dissect certain things. And there are some hilarious moments. But I do believe that the chemistry, the artistry uh, of it elevates it. So you're like, I don't care. This is great. And that's Tony Scott in a nutshell for me. And that's why I can watch, you know, what is it? Unstoppable, the train movie where (laughs) it's a runaway train. I'm like, yeah, got it. I Like, like... I am all for a movie where you're like, I don't want to say to shut your brain off, but like I'm in for the ride. Like I don't need to break it down. I understand there are certain things and da 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 da. But yeah. um, I mean, I will agree with that. I don't think this is a great movie, but I think yeah. it's like a significant movie, and I think yes. it is a a great Tom Cruise performance. Like where I come from, and we're loving to talk about this film is you know when this movie comes out and Tom Cruise is like a movie star, he doesn't get a lot of credit for the acting he does in this movie. I mean, the, the reviewers at the time are just kind of making him sound like a tough body who did, you know, some shirtless stuff. You know, like the LA Times did an article that was basically just like they counted how many times he smiled. They're like, he does 38 grins and 49 outright smiles with teeth flashing. Like that was all he really brought to the role. That's so bullshit. Love, yeah. No, I love talking about it in the in like the context of like 24-year-old crews putting a hell of a performance in this movie that I think doesn't get recognized. Well, here's what I'll say about that, because... I agree with you to a certain extent. I think this is Tom Cruise doing an acting demo reel across the board. Like, if you're telling me that he really wanted to make this film better, he is giving himself moments to show himself as a a cool guy, a funny guy, a tough guy, a sweet guy. I'm having emotion. Like, he is, he is running the gamut. More than most films, you get to see a little flavor of him. And I do believe that because the script is a little bit wonky, you get a performance that is, oh, you see it. Like he is a movie star. I think he has become a better actor because some of these moments, I mean, we have a lot of moments of looking in the mirror, hands forward, a lot of like, I mean, that section after Goose dies. And I have a lot to say about that, uh, is him really putting on a show. And I don't think it's bad. I think he's actually, it makes me understand Tom Cruise better than I think I ever have watching this movie. Because you get, I, I need to be the star. I can't be obscured by special effects. I need to show people what I can bring. I need to be everything to everyone. He's singing in the movie. He is, you know, he is the best friend and the romantic lead. He is the person who is conflicted with 
you know, this, this trauma that he's dealing with. And we, we get to see like every, everything about him. And you realize this is how Tom Cruise has run his career. It's like, I am taking full control of me and everything I do will showcase me in the best way. And I'm going to put myself in a position to succeed, not only with me, but the film. And when you heard Tom Cruise talk about Maverick, he's like, there was never a moment where Top Gun Maverick was going to stream. And you're like, oh, fuck. Yeah, because it's like because Tom Cruise is a motherfucking movie star. He's not a streaming star. And that's the energy that you get from him. It's like, yeah. I don't do anything that's going to fuck it up. And and maybe that's also been reinvigorated by those three years where people rejected him, but yet he was still making kind of good movies in that zone. But oh, yeah, anyway. don't get me started. Don't get yeah. me started. Oh, okay. anyway, all I want to say is I do think <laughs> no. that this is a very open look into Tom Cruise. Like, this is his battle plan. This movie is his battle plan. And I think he's well, done sure. like, better the, versions. Yeah. Yes. All of that emotional stuff in the script is stuff that he really added. You know, like the the whole framework of this movie, you know, that that Maverick is a pilot who flies the way that he does because because of his father, because his like father disappeared in Vietnam. That is like a Tom Cruise addition, you know, like these scenes with like Tom Cruise and Goose, where it's like, here is the framework of why I am like this. That is all Tom Cruise putting his kind of relationship with his own dad into the movie. He was like, this guy needs to have a story that's not just like, I'm a badass. He really saw Maverick as, you know, as a tragic character with like a deep insecurity about his dad. You know, when I first realized that going to Top Gun, all I could think about was getting that trophy. I gotta be straight with you, Mav. Right now, I just hope we graduate. I got a family to think about. I can't afford to blow this. I guess that flyby wasn't such a big hit, huh? Look, man, I know it's tough for you. It wouldn't let you in the academy because you're Duke Mitchell's kid. You have to live with that reputation. It's like every time we go up there, it's like you're flying against a ghost. Makes me nervous. It's a to me, like this is actually you're you're very, very right in your reading about him, but you're you're I think you're even more right than you know. Because like one of Tom Cruise's kind of like lookbacks on this movie when it was done is he's like, I don't think I'm a movie star in that movie. I think I'm an actor playing a movie star in that movie mm. because he sees it as a movie about a man posturing like he is the coolest guy in the world because he's a he's a pilot who's deeply insecure, always trying to prove himself uh, to people and surrounded by who he thinks of as like these kind of like gladiator competitors like Iceman who he thinks will like chew him up and spit him out if he doesn't act like the toughest guy in the room. I think all of these scenes like when they're at, you know, when they're in the classroom and when they're in the locker room where like Tom Cruise is like putting on a show of leaning back and twiddling his pen and being really confident. That's not just like Maverick being a cocky asshole. That's like Tom Cruise playing a guy acting like a cocky asshole to try to intimidate everybody else because he's deeply insecure about failing. Mm. And I think he has so many layers. Well, what is incredibly interesting about this movie is Maverick is number two. He's always number two. And for an actor to put themselves in that position in a film, I can't think of something in recent memory like that. Like the only reason why he gets to go to Top Gun 
is because the number one pilot has a freak out in the very beginning and he gets yeah. to go. And then when he's in Top Gun, he is constantly behind number one. And I think at the end, his skills pay off, right? He's still dangerous. But I think he likes being the underdog. And it's, and yes, he yeah. saves the day. And it's weird because at the end of the movie, and I want to get into some of the funny shit in this movie, but like at the end of the movie, uh, the principal from Back to the Future, who is the head of the uh, of the aircraft carrier, says, how does it feel to have your face on the cover of every newspaper in the world? It's like, wait. <laughs> Yeah, they wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. What? They would never do that. Why? <laughs> yeah, there's, like, there's no his reason. old dad's death was classified. Why would this be like on the cover of newspapers? Why, why would the pilot's face be there? Like it makes yeah. no it makes no fucking sense. Um, you know, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that, and, but, but that, yeah, yeah. But that number two thing is how Cruz is like feeling. Because if it's right. 1986 and you're like, who's going to be the great actor of this generation? People are going to say Matt Dillon. They're not going to say Tom right. Cruise. You know. They don't say Tom Cruise. They actually will refuse to admit that he's a good actor for a very long time after this. And even now, it's sort I, of I like... I still think that people don't admit that yeah, he's a good actor. And I think that Tom don't. Cruise is a uh, represents some things, and, you know, especially recently where you know people can kind of draw some complaints about Tom Cruise. I think if you just put Tom Cruise, the performer, in front of us and don't put anything else in, take out, block out all that other noise, I think that Tom Cruise has created for himself this position of being a movie star and holding yeah. on to that for 30 plus years is amazing. You know, Denzel Washington has been able to do that. Uh, Tom Hanks. Um, I mean, like that list yeah. is. But even three... Denzel and Tom Hanks could never open a movie and make it be number one the way Cruz did for like three years in a row. Right. Like right. Tom Cruise is still bigger than all of them. That's actually kind of the thesis of my book is like, he is such a great movie star that he's never gotten credit for being an actor. Right. And I, and I deeply believe that. Like, I mean, if you allow me, can I yeah. pull out some clips that I think it, it exemplify what I'm talking about when I say that Go he's giving it. like I a performance? Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of them is, you know, when you do kind of close readings of a lot of his scenes with Iceman where they're competitive, what you realize is like, Maverick talks to Iceman in a way that like is phony and he doesn't use that voice with anybody else. Like the scene where, you know, um, Oh, this the scene, the, yeah, the, the, the scene where he's like scene? saying that he's dangerous, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, listen to this really closely. You're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous. That's right. Ice man. I am dangerous. Maverick, you and Goose get your butts out of that flight gear and up the Viper's office now. I mean, that I, yeah. is not a moment of sincerity. That is like a moment of somebody acting like a tough guy they've seen in a movie. His dangers. That's right. Ice man. man. Right. That is not that is not a normal reaction. That is Cruz deliberately putting on the performance of acting like a guy who's performing like he's trying to be tough. Right. And I and I think that moment is interesting because and again, I'm talking about this fine line, but you can see that he's trying to figure out, like, there is a layer there, right? But yeah. I think it it Even reads more like, like a stilted scene than it yeah. reads like what you're saying as a great performance. But I think the instinct to make it a great performance is there. So I, I respect that scene. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's a, it's a tricky, yeah. 
I mean, I'll be honest, like the scene that really cracked this all open for me where I was able to see that Tom Cruise is adding this like other layer to it is the singing scene when mm-hmm. um, when he does like yes, he that yes. loving feeling. Because, you know, to set up this scene really properly for like the psychology of what's happening in here, Tom Cruise has just shown up in this Top Gun school. He's, you know, already intimidated by these dudes and acting tough. He's, he's in not this, supposed to be there. Yeah. He he's, knows he's not supposed to be there. Yeah. He's in a bar where everybody's watching him, you know, like the guys are in the bar kind of judging him. And these are people who like when say, you know, Kelly McGillis rejects him in front of them, you know, like they're like making fun of him, having airplanes crash. He's aware that he needs to like hit on girls or like be brave in front of them. So he, he, okay, there is no normal way in which like publicly singing at a girl who looks kind of uncomfortable and is crossing her hands over her body Mm -hmm. is is a successful move. And no. he's not even doing it. What do you think when he follows her into the yeah. bathroom? I mean, some right. of that stuff, I'm like, whoa, all right, bold. Right? Because he's not even doing it to win her over, like on, really. He's doing it to impress the other guys. He's doing it to win a $20 bet with Goose. He's doing it to show everybody else that he's like braver than them in every single way. But there is a it, funny thing because they're also saying to him, like, you know, there are these lines. <sighs> it's tricky. There's like lines where like Anthony Edwards is... By the way, Anthony Edwards, great performance here. Very oh, Matthew Perry-like. So good. I mean, he is doing something comedically here. And I know he said that a lot of the movie is improvised. Like, he's great. But he reminded he's me very so much of Matthew funny. Perry. I'm like, we should be in more comedies, or he should have been. But uh, He's I, so just, like, lovable. You just, like, love Goose. He is the best. Um, and uh, But, you know, as they walk in, he's like, oh, Mav, you're always leading, you know, with your dick. You know, essentially he says yeah. that, you know, and then it's like, all right, we're going to make a bet. And this time it's got to be a lady that you flirt with. And I was like, oh, all right, what are we hearing here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some weird moments in this movie. But, uh, you know, because I do think that there is this idea that Maverick wants to hit on girls, but he's bad at it. And that's the other thing too. This movie is constantly showing you that he's not good at whatever he's doing. Like when Kelly McGillis goes, you've done this before. And he's like, yeah, I've done it before. Has it worked? And he's like, well, yeah. Yeah. He does. He does this. He sings to her knowing it will fail because it has never worked. And because it is just a performance, right? Right. Okay. Listen to the way that Tom Cruise sings in this, in this, in this number. Don't worry. I'll take care of this. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. There's no tenderness like before in your fingertips. You're trying hard not to show it, baby. But baby, believe me, I know it. You've lost. bad singing right he's warbling he's kind of all over the place Mm -hmm. it's like if you he's not a he's not a good singer who's like i'm gonna sing to this lady and it's gonna knock her socks off he is a bad singer singing badly but bravely to impress everybody else with how daring he is like that's kind of what's going on in there and this this is where this film cracked open for me tom cruise is not a bad singer tom cruise is a fantastic singer really oh yeah Tom Cruise is a great singer. The very first thing he ever did was a musical. He did Guys and Dolls when he was in high school. And that was what made him decide he wanted to be a performer. He got the lead in Guys and Dolls, having never acted before. He is wow. a fantastic singer. I mean, you can hear it in Rock of Ages. Have you, I don't know if you've seen Rock of Ages. His duet with Malin Ackerman, I Want to Know What Love Is, fantastic. 
And Tom Cruise is, you know, doing his own singing. This isn't a guy who, like, fakes anything. It looks like love has finally found me. So Tom Cruise can sing, but Maverick cannot sing. He's making a difference there. You know, Maverick cannot sing. And there's a reason why he can't sing. And it's because he's trying to show off his confidence more than his talent. That's really interesting. Again, you're you're selling me on this idea that this is a much more layered performance. And I've already respect the performance that he gives here. I wonder if, and again, I haven't seen Maverick. I know you have. There's something about this scene and watching it where I'm like, I don't know how you can pull the scene off because I know they're going to have to do it again in Maverick. Like, it's going to probably be like, what, Mike Miles Teller is going to sing You Lost That Loving Feeling or, you know, a fucking ludicrous song, whatever it will oh, be. Oh, man, I know the answer and I hate that I can't tell you. Uh, but I don't know how you do it in a way that doesn't feel cringe. And I know that Taylor Swift just told us all to embrace the cringe. But there is... What he's doing here is embracing the cringe. He's making a fool out of himself in the hopes of letting her see that he's a good guy, right? Like, to your reading of it. um, I think he's making a fool out of himself, expecting she'll walk away and he'll never see her again, but the guys will think he's got guts. Oh, you see, I think he's doing that to be like, look at me, I'm, I'm showing you I'm a good guy because... I'm willing to be a fool for you a little bit. Like I'm willing to like lower my cool guy status for you. That's how I feel like it is. Oh yeah. No, I I think he never expects to see her again after that night. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I think she is not impressed in the song. No, I don't think he's trying to impress her with song, but I think he's trying to show a ver- I mean, whatever. You're trying to show a version of his yeah. personality. But, but I like guess him what following I'm- her into the bathroom, she's like, oh, what is Yeah, this? what the like, fuck? No. That's when it gets like, weird. Yeah, but that's what I mean. Like his, What we're seeing is like his overconfidence is destroying him or yes. like making him fail. Well, I guess so. What I was just going to say about the song is in re-watching it, I was like, is this going to feel awkward? And it doesn't. It doesn't feel as awkward as I thought it was going to feel. And you get why this becomes like a thing, a moment. It like, it's sloppy. I think that's the reason why it exactly. feels sloppy. And I think that exactly. that makes it charming and that makes it not cool. And exactly. that makes it more relatable. That's a thousand percent it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I just want to make you a Top Gun truther like me because I, I, I am. I'm all on board. I'm all on board. Uh, you don't. I'm, I like, look, this is a movie we could do on how did this get made in the movie we can do here on the show, because I think there's a lot of great stuff here. I mean, the performances across the board are phenomenal. Like you said, Anthony Edwards, great performance. Val Kilmer doesn't want to do this movie. Gives a really interesting performance. The person who I think I'm kind of blown away by in the sense that they didn't have a much larger career after this is Rick Rosovich, who is uh, Iceman's rear. Um, And he's great in the way he has a big career, but like he's a, I mean, can we just say the best built on the volleyball course. I mean, he looks great. Uh, so <laughs> he's much so very that tall. I mean, he's tall. He's funny. He's got like an energy to him where for a long time I was like, is that like, is this like a younger version of somebody else that I, I thought it was like Matthew Modine, you know, it, it, it but 
He's, I mean, I really like him in them. I, I like all of them in this movie. They have like an energy. They all pop, you know, they uh, do. To, you know, they do. I mean, even Meg Ryan, like Meg Ryan is oh, not Meg Ryan Meg when Ryan. she does this movie. Oh Meg, my God. Meg, Meg Ryan, Ryan has just been her. in like, she's just been like in a soap opera. Like this is her first movie. This is Meg Ryan's debut film performance. And she's so marvelous. I love the scene where they're just at the bar getting drunk and like, wait. And I love how like in the script, you know, you understand that she and Goose are a great couple because he just tells her all of Maverick's secrets. Like that's really mm-hmm. kind of the main thing we know, but you just get that they're so close because she knows literally everything about Maverick's life. And like, she just, she, she helps you buy their relationship as well with like her just absolute charm. And she's just so wonderful. Goodness gracious, great balls of fire. I would love to be able to warn you off about Maverick, but I just love him to death. <laughs> you know, I've known Pete for a lot of years now. I'm telling you one thing's for certain. There are hearts breaking wide open all over the world tonight. Why? Because unless you are a fool, a boy is off the market. He is 100% prime time in love with you. Hey, Goose, you big stud! That's me, honey. Take me to bed or lose me forever. Show me the way home, honey. Come on, Bradley, sing with the family. She basically has three scenes and I love Meg Ryan so much. And she's, I mean, it's a fun character. You get like the youth of her, you get, it actually, I think makes Goose's death that much more uh, hard to bear, right? Oh, for sure. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland. And discover a place that just feels lighter. Where every day feels like Saturday and french fries are a food group. Where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season. Where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door. Where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. I want to say a couple things about Goose's death. First of all, seeing this movie, this was profound for me. Not now, but when I was a kid, that a main character would die in a movie, my exposure to film at that point, that was not a possibility. Like, to see a character die really, like, shook me up because I didn't even understand that was kind of possible. Uh, you know, it, you know, at that point... Um, and so, you know, when they do this in this movie, it's a great, you know, it's a great sequence. It, it kind of sets the movie in a different uh, trajectory towards the end. But I want to talk about these choices that they make on Goose's death, which are a bananas. Uh, all right. First of all, Tom Cruise keeps his dog tags. Tom Cruise <laughs> doesn't give them to the wife. 
Second of all, Goose, we don't see the funeral. There's a trial. There's a graduation. It all seems to happen within 24 hours of Goose dying. And they're like, and acknowledged that it's like 24 hours. Like at one point when he freaks out, uh, when he goes up there, again with a different rear, uh, he, you know, he's like, oh, I'll fire the guns when I want to fucking fire the guns. And, um, and you know, and Tom Scarrett's like, get him back up. Get him back up there. It's like, and someone goes, it's only been a couple of days. Like, it's like, it's only been a couple of days. Well, it's like, only an eight week program. I it's know, a, but it's like, but it's like, this is his, his best friend, his, like his number, like they, they don't switch rears. Like this is, they've been flying together. Like they don't only want him to get over his friend dying there. Get to graduation, please. And then when he does overcome like the death of his friend, you know, which is the normal time, 72 hours later, he takes the fucking uh, dog tags and toss them into the ocean. It's like, wait, hold on. He's got a family. He has children. You're tossing those. I hope in Maverick, like his son says, hey, you stole my dad's dog tags? And Tommy, like, oh, um, I think, yeah, maybe in a in a box, I may have him in a box. Uh, and he's like, well, yeah, can you look? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Tom's like, oh, fuck, I tossed his dog tags. <laughs> like, I would love to just have like, uh, a moment. Like, like, there are some moments there where they make, I believe, this movie <laughs> as Tom Cruise grieve more than Meg Ryan grieves for her husband. Well, yeah, I think that scene's actually really beautiful because like, I love when they get together. That's beautiful. Yeah, because what's like, What's so striking is you're right. Like once Goose dies, there's this giant shift in his performance where he like can't yes. keep up the act, right? Like the right. act that he's been doing for two thirds of the film. And he just like crumples. Like he stops making eye contact basically at all in the movie. And he can't like, he doesn't have that like kind of laser focus that he's been like channeling. Well, let me ask you this and, question though really quickly, because when he's in the cockpit, he's not faking it. When he's nervous or what? Like, well, cause he doesn't like, well, I guess what I'm saying is you're saying he's putting on an act throughout the movie, but his flying persona is that's Maverick. That's not an act. Like I, I believe that he's up there. Like the energy that he has as a pilot feels where he is the most confident, almost oh, without yeah. anyone watching him. Right. I, if you yeah. want to make that argument. No, yeah. I almost feel like the the plane when he's in the plane, that's the only time that Maverick can really express how he's feeling. Right. So the, because, the plane like, matches the it, like, energy that he's trying to bring on the ground. Right. Because think okay. about this, like when he's in the plane, he can disobey his orders and like zoom the tower, right. you know, and he'll get in trouble for it. But when he gets in trouble, like he can't express himself. He can't talk. He doesn't, he doesn't get to talk back. He just sort of like clenches his jaw, you know, like the way that, you know, right. that he's emoting quietly on ground. He is not high up and he gets yelled at all the time up in the air. He gets to kind of be like, ah, fuck it. This is what I need to do. I got to fly. I'm a crazy person. But it is also kind of coming from that same place of having to do what other people won't because he feels so insecure about his dad, like yeah. disappearing, which sure kind of, kind of strange. Dot, 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 I mean, the dad disappearing like, is such yeah. an interesting story because it does feel shoehorned in, you know, my dad died, but they, they don't give me the real story, but the story that Tom Skerritt tells him. And by the way, I'm guessing that Tom Cruise is Tom Skerritt in the next movie, which would be really funny if this movie was called Top Gun Viper. But Anyway, uh, but like Tom Skerritt is like, oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, yeah, I did fight with your dad. And, and he did this amazing thing. And he's like, why, why didn't anyone ever tell me? And he's like, well, we were on the wrong side of enemy lines. 
it is weird that they would. <laughs> it seems like they went through like a crazy amount of like subterfuge to not even like they couldn't create a better story than like disgracing his name. <laughs> right. I mean, it just sounds like he was in Cambodia when he, he was supposed to be in Vietnam. Right. Like it crossed yeah. over into there. We weren't supposed to say we we're in Cambodia. I That's guess. Reading uh, on it in a way that like adds to the platoonishness of this movie. Like, I don't know. It was crazy. Everybody was dying everywhere. But like, it does kind of say that Vietnam was a bit of a mess. Right. But it is, yeah, it is, it is sad and strange. I mean, because he has that passing line where he says, like, he got rejected from the Academy because of his dad, you know, that they weren't sure about letting him in. Yeah. I and mean, yeah. I know. Or like, and that his reputation, like, precedes him, his family one. Like, when he shows up in his first kind of dressing down, you know, they're like screaming at him and like, mention this kind of like sordid backstory what you should have done was land your plane you don't own that plane the taxpayers do son your ego is writing checks your body can't cash you've been busted you lost your qualifications as section leader three times put in hack twice by me with a history of high speed passes over five air controlled towers and one admiral's daughter penny benjamin and you asshole you're lucky to be here. Thank you, sir. And let's not bullshit, Maverick. Your family name ain't the best in the Navy. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guy. Now, what is it with you? But yeah, even in that scene, he can't like talk back. You know, they mention his dad, his jaw clenches. And the only way he can express how he's feeling is in the air still, you know, like, or by winning, by like being the best pilot. I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not into, like, most traumatic motivations in film, but I just think it's interesting watching just, how it plays out, like, the way that he, like, yes, I illustrates mean, look, it. It, it. Look, I think this is one goes back to my theory that this is an acting reel for an actor who is trying to be a movie star. It's like, I need to have all the, I need to have this intrigue moment. I need to have this other thing. Because, truly, the death of his friend should be enough to carry the weight of the movie. But it's like, oh, and here's another twist. And you don't even really need that twist because... Truly, we already see him do that. Like he helped, like the beginning of the movie is him going, like there's no arc in this movie. What? I mean, do you, I mean, like. Oh, in okay, the, I think there's turbulence, but I think at the end of the day, he's still overcompensating. Okay, well, okay, well, here's why I'll say there's no arc. We open up on the movie. He's an amazing pilot who get who does something that is impossible, that inverted uh, you know, uh, relationship to the the MIG, which yeah. is technically impossible to do. I watched a lot of videos on YouTube last night of uh, like how Goose could have died and why that isn't okay. Anyway, um, so that is uh, we see this open. He's cocky. He is secure in himself. He saves the day. Not only does he save the day, but then the number one pilot has a freakout. He disregards orders. Goes back. And brings him home. He saves the person in distress. So that's how we open the movie. Like there's no save. The, the save the cat there, if we want to go in that direction, is like, okay, he is the best. He, he doesn't make any mistake. He is ready to go. Then he goes to Top Gun. Except, He's a- except, 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 except. In the logic of it, like to the military, it kind of seems to imply that the plane is more important than the pilot. Yes. You know, there are a lot of like, that plane's $30 million. The taxpayers paid for right, that. Right, yes. Weird like, line. Yeah. And that, you know, I mean, he is just like incredibly disobedient for the military. 
You know, right. even even this military okay, that like sure. competes people against each other. Okay, you know, so and, he, and I think yeah. All right, so he's, uh, yeah. again, but as far as a character is concerned, in a moment where he didn't need to sacrifice himself, they're low on fuel. He goes back. He saves his friend. He gets to go to Top Gun Academy. He does all the shit that everyone knows. The only time they get into trouble is when Iceman fucks up. Iceman won't get out of the way. If Iceman got out of the way, they would never gotten that jet wash, and then that would have saved Goose's life. And Iceman never really apologizes for that. But anyway... Well, okay, uh, but, but but does Iceman have to get out of the way? I mean, like, he Well, has... Iceman it didn't have the shot. Well, he... he... Could have had the shot. Just everybody was like screaming at him to get out of the way because Cruz wanted the shot. They're just trying to get the shot. Like one of them wants to get it before the other one. Like I think Cruz also could just like back off and let him handle it. But he wants to be the one to take the plane down. So, you know, it's just like, I got it. I got it. Give it to me, coach. Give it to me, coach. And I think, I mean, Cruz doesn't have to be that close. Right. Okay. All right. So. Because I hmm. think Iceman's kind of right. When Iceman's like, you're dangerous. You leave your wingman. You're going to get us killed. He's. Telling the truth. Right. Okay. So I'm just saying from a perspective of the film, he's not leaving his wingman in that moment. Iceman's like, I need help. I need help. And he's like, get out of the way. I got this. Iceman won't do it. So then uh, because of that, Goose dies. Then at the end of the movie, you know, he's on deck, literally on deck, waiting to be called up. He goes, gets called up, and then does, he saves the day without really anybody else helping. I mean, he does everything and then escorts the freaked out pilot back again. Like, he, like I mean, as far as, like, his talent, it never really seems to ebb and flow. It's not, he doesn't learn a lesson, and that's why you're right. At the end, Iceman's like, hey, you're still a dangerous pilot, but this time you saved me, so I actually think you're kind of cool. But, I, I mean... And Tom, and Tom Cruise even can't let him have that moment. You know, he's like, right. hey, I'll, I, maybe I think you're cool. You are still dangerous. You can be my wingman anytime. Bullshit. You can be mine. I mean, he, he never concedes. So, yeah, on that level, I don't think he does grow up that much. Yeah. So I just think that, like, as far as, like, an arc, and that's why I think we are trying to find these other moments. Like, he doesn't become a better pilot. He doesn't listen to his rear. He doesn't. He doesn't like it's interesting that they do all this work, but the truth of the matter is he's a number two who is only a number two because people are like, we don't trust you because you are a little bit of a renegade. And then it's like, well, at the end, yeah, my renegade saved all your asses. Like, and I never like I never changed anything. I never learned anything. I am the best. I will always be the best. And, you know, which I think is kind of honest. But I think within that, you also see the range of that personality type like there is a range to Maverick even if he doesn't grow yeah like I love I really we should talk about the scene where like Goose has died and he sees Meg Ryan crying because the way that scene was written in the script it was like Maverick goes to you know Meg Ryan and hugs her and tells her it will be okay and when they shot that scene Tom Cruise was like actually Maverick can't do that like Maverick doesn't even have the bravery to walk through that door. And that's actually what you see when you watch the movie. Like he walks up to the door, he sees her through it crying and you can't see him enter. Like he kind of like leans against the back of the door, can't do it. And they finally just cut to him already being inside because there's something in him that's so like frozen and embarrassed and guilt-ridden and painful. And then when you have this comfort scene, the way that it plays out is like she comforts him 
And they hold that scene long enough that you realize he doesn't say anything. He has like nothing he can say. And it's like the detraction of like the, I know just what to say, or I can do this, you know, like I I can comfort this woman. I'm so good at everything. I can do anything. That's not what this character is. And I think it's really an intelligent decision to have him be so vulnerable in that moment. I'd have flown anyway without you. You hated it, but he would have done it. But then right after that too, it's like, and you didn't make any mistakes. Well, but he did it. (laughs) I mean, he did it. But, but I mean, but, but, is, but, but, like, but even... isn't but isn't that supposed to be like? Look, if I'm writing a movie, yeah. I'm gonna say like he made a mistake, and and look, and maybe other people like maybe he both would have died, but he didn't. Like, here's the thing: if he made a mistake that caused them to spin out, that at least is a mistake. Like, he doesn't cause Goose's death. Goose dies because of a mechanical malfunction in the plane. So you could still have. Him make a mistake and Goose dying as two separate things. But this movie does choose to be like, not only did he not really make a mistake, and he's not responsible for anything. I think just so you know, he is. But that puts is. more of the weight on the fact that he feels responsible anyway. I mean, the original script actually like had Goose dying in a midair collision. I think there's right. something so much more terrifying about Goose dying because like the, the, you know, he ejects and he hits the back of, you know, the canopy and it just snaps his neck like instantly because yeah. that kind of death is even is just is to me more terrifying. Like you could try to prevent a mistake, but like a technological failure like that, that can take out a pilot who's so talented otherwise. That's so scary. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but again, you're right. Like in life, that is scary. But in a movie, is that fulfilling? I mean, did it work on you? I mean, look, it, like <laughs> when, like, and that's and that's why I love Tony Scott. Like, I'm not thinking about this in the real world. It's just sort of a funny thing where you go, like, we open this movie with him being a badass fighter fighter yeah. pilot who actually cares about the other people he flies with, and you end the movie with him being a badass fighter pilot with him caring. Like to me, the the better opening, but it's hard because you wouldn't like him. Yeah. Is that like he does his job so effectively, but he doesn't go back. He's like, we can't go back. Oh, we're low on fuel. We have to like. We, you know, whatever. He has to learn to care. You're right, because that is kind of a confusing arc. They're like, you care too much about saving people. You don't care enough about saving people. Like, which is it? Yeah, it's a weird weird mix. And I I do think that, again, I'm not really breaking it down like I'm thinking about, but it is a funny, and that's a very movie star thing to do. It's like... Yes, you are you are adjacent to tragedy, but you you're you're guilt free enough, guilt free enough that no one's mad at you. Like no one's mad at him. It's yeah. like ah, oh, poor kid. You know, um, and you know, for me, it's like you want to kill Goose because Goose is his friend. But you know, to I would also see like if Iceman got killed because of that, and he was responsible for somebody else. Like there there's other ways to do it. But I think his acting. And he definitely has a lot of moments to show you how sad he is, you know, I think uh, gives you that. But it's odd that they give you that without him even having a rem- like a little bit of remorse or something that he can learn from or grow from. Because he doesn't do he literally gets caught in the same exact fucking thing that he gets caught in the jet wash. We get the jet wash. Jet wash is dangerous. Uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is true that Cruz very much was aware of how he wanted to be perceived in this movie and like what he wanted to get out of it. Like 
the the, the volleyball scene, right? You know, yeah. which the script, by the way, has just like the funniest note for it. Like they describe the volleyball game as just quote vicious volleyball game, and that's how by it's the written. Way, but by the way, you know, the idea was that they didn't even know that volleyball game was going to be happening. Like Ridley Scott was supposed to shoot another scene that day. And he's like, ah, you know what? Let's dump some sand in the parking lot. We'll put this up and we'll just shoot this. And so everyone was in the shape that they were in when they were ready to go. And Rick Rosovich, I was listening to an interview with him and he was like, oh, you know, I was in shape. I, I you know, and uh, Val Kimmer always thought that he was in the best shape. Tom Cruise always in good shape, but like. That's why I think Anthony Edwards is uh, looking pretty good in that little uh, whatever tank top or, or, that he's got on his sleeveless uh, shirt. But it is funny to feel like that's a big centerpiece of a movie. And I know when Marvel actors have to take off their shirt, there's so much moment. There's so much work for that. But this is like in the 80s. Like, no, nah, man, we're shooting that today. Go get in there. <laughs> yeah. But also, like before they shot that, Tom Cruise got it in writing that they wouldn't use any of the volleyball pictures for publicity stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was, he very much was like, okay, my shirt's off a lot in this movie. You know, it's off a lot in like the locker room. It's off a lot, you know, like in my love scene, it's off when um, we're doing this volleyball sequence. And he very much was like, I do not want to be seen as like a hunky shirtless guy. So he insisted and got it in his contract that they would never use topless photos of him as stills or for any sort of promotional purpose. He he had enough of the foresight to say like, I'm only going to let you use certain pictures of me to promote this movie. Like you can use a picture of me in front of a flag. You can use a picture of me on a motorcycle. You can use a picture of me in a uniform. And that's about it. And he like really it, yeah. stage manages his image on that, which well, it's interesting because again, it's like, like twenty four years old, like being you should be. Well, most I actors, think he, I think, would be like, I am grateful to be in this movie, whatever you want, sir. And he's like, no, 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 no. I really have a plan, and this topless stuff is not going to derail well, it. Well, this is him becoming like the CEO of Tom Cruise Industries, you know, or yeah. Tom Cruise movie star. And there's something about like this idea too, where the movie does a weird thing. It's a very weird ending, like you know, it has like a hard kind of cut out, and then we're into like almost the TV show, like. And Tom Cruise as Maverick. And we're doing like these like clips of the movie of everybody like in their scenes, uh, which is really, I mean, just it, it totally felt weird. But they do cut to Rick Rosovich with his shirt off in the volleyball scene there, too. Um, Looking good. But Rick, it, where are you? Where is Rick? I, I hope Rick is in the, is Rick in, can you tell me that? Is Rick in Maverick? I do not believe that Rick is in Maverick. Uh, if he is, they don't make a deal of it. All right. Um but yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much there. I, I do want to talk about the arc and I think it's worthy of, like, we've been talking for a long time here. What I think is really interesting and, and probably all came about in the early or maybe in the 90s uh, was this idea of like these homoerotic tones in this movie, right? This is a movie, we're talking about the volleyball scene. We're talking about these, it's men competing with each other, getting in each other's face, like having trouble expressing emotion in their underwear, always around each other, like in the most, they're, they're, they're so they're, sweaty. They're so sweaty. Oh, the I mean, that's a Tony, that, that is a it Bruckheimer is a Simpson movie. Oh, get them on that aircraft carrier <laughs> and everyone is sweating up a storm. But there are men in tight, cramped spaces that are like butting heads, literally, figuratively. They are, you know, they are, it's not like Lord of the Rings. It's not like Band of Brothers. It is, a, I believe, an incredibly sexualized thing. Like you're looking at these men and you're like at points, like, are they going to kiss? And, and I would be okay with it if they are like, there's an energy that's building where it's like, I, maybe they're down to fuck like, great. Um, it, and 
I think that that's why this movie works. I, I think that what brought it to a lot of people's attention is like Quentin Tarantino in, um, there's a movie, an independent movie. What was it Sleep called? With Me. Uh, called Sleep With Me, where I guess he had this theory about Top Gun being a, a you know, a story, a, a, a journey about Tom Cruise's character finding himself. Like, what is he? Is he is he gay? Is he bi? Is he straight? And that, to me, when I listen to that, and I have one big issue with it, but when I listen to that, I go, well, maybe that is the arc of the movie. Maybe that is what we're what we're really seeing here is is this. Uh, this arc. Should we play that uh, clip of like, okay, good. On a massive level. You know what one of the greatest fucking scripts ever written in the history of Hollywood is? What? Top Gun. Oh, come on. Top, Top Gun, Gun is fucking great. What is Top Gun? You think it's a story about a bunch of fighter pilots? Yeah, it's about a bunch of guys waving their dicks around. It is a story about a man's struggle with his own homosexuality. That's it. That is what Top Gun is about, man. All right, so what do you think of the take of the, the, the take that this is a a story about Tom Cruise being pulled into a world where, you know, it's the homosexual <laughs> world versus the straight world. I mean, I think there's an opening to believe that because of kind of how off the love story is between him and Kelly McGillis, to be honest. You know, like they're not really believable as having a ton of heat, I would say. Right? No, so there's yeah. Sort of an opening there where you're like, you're very aware that like, this is kind of a stage managed relationship that I think is like incredibly lunatic. You know, they don't kiss for a long time. Most of their scenes together are just about like power, you know, like I don't really want you here except to talk about the MIG. Well, you haven't opened up the wine. Well, I want to take a shower. Well, you can't take a shower. You know, it's like right. a lot of back and forth like that. Well, I mean, I mean, the one thing that he says in that 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 moment that really made that connected to me is, and it, it calls out so strongly. It's like when she dresses like a man in the elevator, like yeah. or you know, and she's in that hat and the glasses. Uh, by the way, the longest elevator ride of all time, yeah. because how tall is that building? Like a ninety-story building? Like they're in that elevator for like right? minutes. I, I never saw a tall building like that the entire time. Right. Place. I mean, <laughs> there is a reason for her outfit in that scene, which okay. is. Um, which is basically they screened this movie for the first time, like January 86. Uh-huh. And when they got their cards back, like everybody at the test screening loved it. And what they found out is like 92% of girls under 22 loved Tom Cruise in this movie. So they were like, oh, we got to get more romance in here. And okay. um, and uh, yeah, it's not, exa- I guess it's not a glamorous story, but like Kelly McGillis had already shooted a di- started shooting a different movie where her hair was brown. So that they pulled her back for that reshoot, which is the elevator sequence, to get more romance into it. Oh. And she had to hide her hair under a hat. That's also why they're like ridiculous, like lizard licking blue like makeout scene is so weird is because her hair was also brown for that. So they just like did it in silhouette. Oh, interesting. You know, so that's interesting that the, the, the love story was really a sideline the, the yeah. story really is you know i mean i don't they the ice man more, yeah. which is i mean but even like the love story that's in there is so weird it's like, a weird where, story like, yeah because you know, he is so sensitive to her criticizing him in public and she's of course it's her job like you can't undermine her authority in the classroom and they have that ridiculous fight that leads into like her speeding after him in a in a, in a yeah. race car and then like screaming at him on the sidewalk and you're like none of this is what a reasonable woman would be saying right now And you think I'm reckless? When I fly, I'll have you know that my crew and my plane come first. Well, I'm going to finish my sentence, Lieutenant. My review of your flight performance was right on. Is that right? That is right. But I held something back. 
I see some real genius in your flying, Maverick, but I can't say that in there. I was afraid that everyone in that tax trailer would see right through me. And I just don't want anyone to know that I've fallen for you. I mean, they haven't even kissed. And she's like, I'm in love with you. I mean, yeah, there, there's a, I mean, look, <laughs> again, you start pulling at threads, the whole thing falls apart. The one thing that I will say about this Quentin Tarantino thing, just because I want to like hit it again, there's so many different uh, things online that really go down this wormhole. And it's, it's hilarious when you're watching it and seeing everything. The one thing that, uh, <laughs> that I really want to call out is, I think Quentin Tarantino is such a film historian, uh, such a savior of, you know, movies that probably, like we we're talking about earlier in the podcast, like movies that may not be the ones that you know, but the ones that you should see. And when he comes and gets to do this monologue in this movie, there is one thing that is so wrong. And I can't believe that he got it wrong. Do you know what I'm talking about? Wait, I actually remember grumbling, but I can't think of what it was anymore. Go ahead, the go last line. Oh yeah, the yeah, last what? line. No. He builds his whole movie. He builds his whole monologue up to the last line of the movie, which is, "Hey man, you can ride my tail anytime." And both characters say it, and that's not the line. So like, <laughs> you can be my wingman, and he goes, "Hey man, you can be my wingman." Like it. It is a crazy. It was. It shook me to my core because when I watched that movie, I was like, "Holy shit!" They say that, like, and then like, "Oh, it, they don't say that." But it was so interesting that, like, the whole. I mean, but that's kind of the benefit of a yeah. pre-internet age, where like no one was on. I'm sure like he was visiting set. They're like, "Oh, be an annoying guest at a party," and they got this thing, and it's like that's truly what right. He could a go guest check YouTube. Do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, I mean, that's funny. If that movie, uh, Sleep With Me, had been more popular, maybe that would have turned into the Play It Again, Sam, of Top Gun. Except it didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Ride My Tail. Ride My Tail is what gets people killed in this movie. I know. Yeah. Which, by the way, one of the pilots, Art Scholl, actually died uh, shooting some of the footage for this film. Like, he he crashed into the ocean and they never retrieved his plane. So, they I mean... It was dangerous. I mean, there is there is danger happening here in it to even make this film. They, well, I mean, of course. I mean, you're 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 following. I mean, the the just the artistry of where they were at with technology to get the footage that they get is unbelievable. I mean, um, I talked to somebody who said, you know, if you have not seen the the 3D transfer of Top Gun, it is. Uh, it is amazing. Like, and that is because I think they really captured it so well. Like it's one of those rare movies that they could convert to 3d that actually really work. And I will say that watching it at home on my TV, which is, you know, large, but not the biggest thing of all time. Uh, wow. It still felt electric and exciting. And, and when I saw the clip from Maverick, the extended like mini trailer, they play in IMAX. I was like, it, it got me even more excited just because it's like, wow, they're there. Uh, it's there's something really and I sound so stupid saying it. I'm embarrassing, but it's like there's something really like incredible about a fighter pilot. Like and what like how little like there's something like very Wright Brothers about it. Like those planes are so small. Like, you are yeah. just you're in the air. You are like it's not like flying in an airplane. It's like flying in these this motorcycle of the sky, whatever it is. But it's like, and I think that that movie really made me appreciate that. And I understand why, 
you know, people wanted to sign up to be in the military. I mean, it's crazy that the, the you know, the Navy obviously uh, charged them like, uh, you know, like $1.6 million to use all their oh, stuff. Yeah. But they, were, they only they were charged rec- them for fuel, basically, because they were like, this could be very good for us. Well, I mean, they set up camps outside of uh, screenings, right, to sign people up yeah. to join. Um, I mean, like this movie comes out in May. By July, 90 percent of the people applying to join the Navy had seen the movie. Like they, it was absolutely huge. This movie was so big that the Air Force the next year asked Congress if they could have money for leather jackets because they're like, man, the Navy has leather jackets. You haven't let us have leather jackets since the 1940s. All these people are joining the Navy because they want that jacket. So they had to get permission wow. to start having Air Force to have leather jackets for the Air Force too. That's so funny. I mean, but that's really truly. Like there's something about Tom Cruise and sunglasses. Obviously, we you know Risky Business, which is a movie I really like too. Risky Business, oh, in many I, respects, to me, did that come out after this movie or before? Before, before. I mean, gosh, if you want to talk about another movie that's been like radically misinterpreted, which is like all of Tom Cruise's films, yeah, I that would movie. talk about that till the cows come home. That is not a movie about a cocky guy who slides around his underwear. That is a dark movie. Uh, I mean, that like. A risky Business is one of those films that when I was a kid, I thought it was a sex movie. And when I got older, I was like, this is a brilliant, like, dark comedy that is beautifully acted. It's like it, capitalism. Yeah, it's really an amazing <laughs> movie. I, I, and again, you know, we're talking about Tom Cruise's performance here. This is an, oh, obviously don't, an don't older. Don't get me started on Cocktail. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my gosh. There you go. Movie, radically misinterpreted. Sorry. But, um, but anyway, this movie you know, and, and we talked a little, you know, Kelly McGillis, I think you're right. Like, there's something about Kelly McGillis in this role. And I like Kelly McGillis. And I don't know, like, I think she's doing fine. Like, she looks the part. She's doing everything she can. But I do feel like this this lack of connection. Like, I don't know what it is. It's like, like, it doesn't feel passionate. It doesn't feel like... Like the most passionate moment is when she kisses him, right? Like she kind of like, yeah, you know, and it's. Um, they, they never seem to totally let their guard down, you know? No, yeah. I mean, I mean and, and yeah. like when this movie came out, like a lot of the critics talked a lot more about her than they talked about him even because she had just been in, um, I think, Witness, you know, where she plays like an omnish woman on the run. Um, and they had loved that movie. You know, it was sort of like she was like a Florence Pugh figure or something. And suddenly people are like, Kelly McGillis, she's interesting. Critics care about her. And so watching this movie, they're like, eh, Kelly McGillis, interesting. She's too good for him. You know, she's too like intelligent. She's too smart. Tom Well, Cruise you walk is too this simple. line where like if you make her like fall for her students, you like lower her, you lower her a little you bit. And do. I think that that's a tricky, I think that that's a tricky role because I was like watching that. I was like, you want to respect her. And it's almost like, oh, my God. Well, I never do this. I would never do this. But for you, I will. Right. And, and you're like, you did just meet him. And he's negging you right and left in front yeah, of people. It's a hard line to walk. I think she does. Like, she holds herself with. She never comes across to me like a. Um, how do you say it? Like, she never comes across to me like uh, weak or like or no. or overly like. Uh, childlike, like, oh, I'm in love. She's always very strong and knows what she wants. But I think that that, to your point, this idea of never letting their guard down. And I think the moment, it's funny because I think the Tom Cruise in his grief acts more like a child than we get to see. And it's yeah. like, it's an interesting way of expressing grief. It's like, you see him pouting a lot. And it's tr- it's tricky to say it's pouting. Um, 
And it's yeah. like, well, he lost his edge. You're like, why did he lose his edge? And again, this is why I want to bring up my arc point. Because he did nothing wrong, why did he lose his edge? Goose is dead because of an airplane malfunction, not because something he did, right? And I do believe that it makes everything a lot stronger. Like he's nervous about what he can only do. Like he couldn't, like he didn't, again, he did not cause Goose's death. But and it's, But it's yeah. fear. You know, it's like, it's like he acts like he's immortal and suddenly he realizes that he's not. Right. I mean, because what, what even? Well, happens he to is Cougar? immortal because he well, lived. Right? Well, yeah. But like what even happens to Cougar in the first one? Cougar has a meltdown and has to quit being a Top Gun and nothing happened to him. There was just like a guy chasing him and it made him nervous. But by the way, did, did does Tom Cruise lose his will? Because it's almost like he goes up there motivated to save his friends. And they're like, well, what position do you want, buddy? Any position you want. He's like, I want to be a Top Gun teacher. And you're like, oh, okay, yeah, great. He does not like, want to be a Top Gun teacher, right? No, like, it's a weird no. ending. It's he a wants weird... to go shoot things like that. He, he's not a Top Gun Yeah, teacher. but it's a weird thing. It's like, what are we getting at here? Like, and th- this yeah. is where the movie makes no sense, but because it's so like, fuck yeah, you want to go back to Top Gun? It's like, wait, wait, why? Yeah, <laughs> why? No. Why? You well, don't. I, I, know. I mean, I feel like part of why... They have that in the movie is because they really wanted him to do Top Gun 2. You know, like when this right. movie is the highest grossing film of the year, Simpson and Bruckheimer offer to quintuple his salary. Quintuple. Quintuple. That multiplied by five his salary to do Top Gun 2. And Tom Cruise is like, no. He said, like at the time, he's like, there was no room for a sequel. That time had passed. So he waits 36 years uh, to do it again. And it's interesting because arguably this is a this is we're talking about a a year where platoon comes out and shows the true atrocities of war like how that affects uh you know young men who are you know men and women but at that in that movie men uh who are affected by going to war and 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 what they're seeing this movie i think steps on the side of it right because it's like we're going to the school part of it and you know it's it's very major league what it is we're, we're fighting, fighting each other yeah. yeah and it's like and it's like and like you know it's so major league like i love i love major league another great uh fun movie but there's like a there's a line in it like you know they're trying to they're trying to get to a certain point in major league where it's like they have to win this amount of games if they win that many games and then the, the, the stadium won't close down or they won't all get traded or whatever it is and uh you know you're watching the movie, but at a certain point, it's like, all right, fellas, we are up 35 games and we only have to win four more. You know, it's like, and that happens throughout the movie. And this movie does the same thing. It's like, there's this like announcer, like the sports announcer, like, all right, guys, it's the uh, second uh, race of the Top Gun thing. And in the lead is Maverick. <laughs> It's this voiceover, like captain that's like kind of giving everybody like a play by play of where they are in the school. Like it's such a funny, right? It's a weird thing. And then it's like they graduate the day they graduate. Oh, there's a situation. Okay. You got to all fly out. It just feels like it, it is an unrealistic version of war, but I think in, in, it's not a movie about war. It's really about a movie about Uh, excellence excellence. Mm -hmm. and competition. But I mean, but a pairing Top Gun and Platoon, I think is so interesting. I mean, because the year after this movie comes out, Gorbachev comes to Washington, D.C. And um, and Gorbachev asks Jack Valenti, you know, the head of the MPAA, like, can you send over some movies to the Soviet embassy? I would like to watch some of your American movies, please. And he specifically requests Platoon and Top Gun. He's like, send me those two. And Jack Valenti does. But he also sends him The Princess Bride because he thought he should, like, mix it up a little bit. Um, But think about this. Like, Tom Cruise makes Top Gun. 
he makes it thinking that he's making this like to him very you know deep movie about like grief and ambition and like egomania and like insecurity and then it becomes a movie that's like seen as this jingoistic war film and all of these people sign up like he's like no i took the war out of this movie and they're like oh we want to fight war and he's like damn it and so by the way amy just to say one thing on this which i think is really interesting um yeah, the you know, there's a 500 percent increase in the number of recruits that go in to their yeah. aviation program. But here's the thing that I think is so funny. Um, Paramount offered to include a Navy recruitment ad on the home video release in exchange for the debt it owed to U.S. Navy for their cooperation. That is How, so creepy. This is why I don't really like it wait, when our movies work with the military. And so many I, of them do. So many of our so movies work with the military, like just to borrow their planes or whatever for like an adventure movie. You have movie. to. I mean, even and this don't has nothing look to do. Up, and this has nothing to do. Has to work with the military to get an airplane. It's like I don't like having the military have say in our movies or any sort of ability to say like. Like, we'll do you a favor, you do us a favor. I mean, it, you know, these are organizations I always am a big, uh, well, yeah. I mean, like, yes, it, there's a lot of weirdness going on there to affect each other. But here's what I wanted to say about this. So they said, hey, we'll put this ad, uh, Navy recruitment ad, in the, in, the, in the home video release, which was priced at $19.99, like I mentioned. And um, the ad agency who does the ads for the U.S. military watched the movie and goes, you don't need it. The movie, we we can't top what the movie has done. <laughs> and they didn't put it in. Like, to me, like, the Navy is like, they're like, we'll give you a free ad. And the Navy's like, you already did everything we need. 500% <laughs> increase. 500%. And, yeah. and I get it. I get it. Like, I remember one of my good friends, uh, a great uh, filmmaker, and, uh, you know, he said I wanted to join the Navy after watching Top Gun. And... He was talking to someone and they said, why? And he explains all the reasons. He's like, you want to be a filmmaker? He's like, oh. (laughs) And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you want to be. And then he wound up working for Tony Scott uh, and and had an amazing experience. But I did love that idea that like, but that's what it is. Like you, I I left going like, wow, that would be amazing. Like, well, holy shit. Like, and I talked to some of the guys who did uh, Maverick and what Tom Cruise put put them through. Like these guys flew Planes. They oh, yeah. fucking flew planes. And that's wild. Like, I mean, they are, I mean, poof, I mean, that's, that's kind of crazy too, but there is like this energy. Like when you see somebody and somebody do something for real, it's like it, you want to copy it. It's, it's exactly how they got Tom Cruise to sign up for this movie. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Come watch it. Oh shit. I'm in. And how can you say no? You know? And, 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 but I wonder now, you know, 35, 36 years later, when they're coming back to this movie, knowing all this, how do you approach, first of all, war has changed, like, right, uh, to a certain degree. Uh, But how do you approach this movie or this idea? Because this is in a very different time in America where, you know, even though it's not a pro-war movie, it's a pro enlist movie and i think that that's i, I mean you know, that's I think, even still close enough to starship troopers to make me a little nervous i'm not saying it's bad to enlist i think that no. our soldiers i have done work in that sector you know as far as uso stuff i yeah i mean i support I, my, our troops i do everything i just yeah. think it's an interesting my thing to be like was yeah. a top gun i just yeah. get nervous about like movies telling you what it'll totally be like and how badass it'll be so that you sign up for something it's that tricky it's kind right of because not, you get brought in yes you get brought because in you're and, not tom cruise and you're not dating kelly mcgillis when but you you're also not military. one of the one percent 
yeah. of people that are going to Top Gun, right? That's the other part of this too. I yeah. mean, there are, you know, and- And I think Tom Cruise has a lot of kind of conflicted guilt about this almost right away, you know, because think about it, like this movie comes out, Platoon comes out, he's offered Top Gun 2, he doesn't do it. He tries to tell everybody in interviews just a couple years later, he's like, Top Gun is just an amusement park ride. It is a fun film. It is not supposed to be reality. That is why I didn't go on and make Top Gun 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. That would have been irresponsible. And what does he do instead? He does a movie by the guy who did Platoon. He does Born on the Fourth of July. He does an anti-war Vietnam movie just like three years after this film because he's like, I think I think I made the movie that I didn't want to make. He's like, I think you took the lesson from this film that I wasn't trying to give. Mm. And, I, and I think he feels, you know, very, very mixed feelings about that. I think he loves Top Gun and he's proud of Top Gun. But, but then he, he but he's going back very, now. So but well, why I do think you think that he, says something else, right? About right. the whole world of movies and his the arc of his career and the arc of anybody being a blockbuster star. There are you can't you can't make an original IP movie like Top Gun that would be the number one hit of the year right now, or at least nobody thinks you can. You can only make IP movies that will become the number one hit of the year. And I and I think I wish we lived in a world where where, you know, not only would Cruz make Top Gun, it would be number one, but the next year he would make um, Rain well, Man. And Rain Man would be the well, number one film but, of the year. But, but let's talk, but I mean, this is, but here he does something really interesting because I just want to draw this all the way back to the beginning. What he does next or what was in the, the, in the world next was The Color of Money, which yeah. is a legacy sequel to The Hustler, right? Yeah. And he is now... Like, it's interesting that, like, he is essentially doing that. He is doing the color of money now with Maverick. Yeah. I mean, in a way, right? I mean, there's something really interesting about, like, so his second film is a sequel to, I mean, it's an interesting trajectory that those are the two back-to-back that he does. Because it's Top Gun, Color of Money, Cocktail, Rain Man. Born on the 4th of July. So what I would argue your point is, yes, I think over the years he might feel conflicted with where he was, but he did also solidify himself as a giant star before he does take a very big left turn from, you know, and I would argue that Born on the 4th of July, Days of Thunder, and Far and Away are the lean years. Like those are three movies back to back that don't work. And they are movies that are like, well, I'm going to make an anti-war movie. That doesn't, I mean, it works, but it's oh, not like. I mean, he gets nominated for an Oscar. He's amazing I, in that Right, movie. but I mean, but it's not like, it's not, it's, uh, yes, but it's not like a Tom Cruise blockbuster, is it? I mean, it does make a ton of money. Oh, really? Okay, like, okay, all, okay. All, all of those movies actually do very well. Oh, and I think okay, when all you, right. And I think when you list them back to back like that, they're all pretty eclectic, except yes. for Days of Thunder, which I don't love. I guess, um, yeah, yeah. Like, I guess but, I like, felt like... Cocktail is sad as hell. That is a movie about, like, Oh, yeah, that's... That failure. Movie is, that well, no, I think so those dark. movies and, are great. I'm just saying yeah. that Born on the Fourth of July, Days of Thunder, and Far and Away feel like he's a little bit out of... Like, it's like, oh, it's yes, no, whatever. And then it goes, then he goes right back into Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview of the Vampire, Mission Impossible, yeah. Jerry Maguire. And, you know, it's like, so he I almost mean, he does like. he doesn't yeah. miss. Like, that's what's crazy about it. Yeah. Like, they're all big in their own way. And, and um, I mean, probably far and away the least, but right. I definitely saw that movie, like, right away when it came out. But even so, even so, like, what is interesting about Color of Money and Rain Man is that. 
here he has just done a movie that's made him like a star. Like he is now Tom Cruise megastar when Top Gun comes out. And he does second billing roles to other movie stars in Killer of Money. Like that's not a Tom Cruise movie. That is a Paul Newman movie. And he plays his second banana. Well, second, like, and like he, and Maverick Paul, does. Well, yeah. And Paul Newman gets an Oscar for that. And then he does the same thing in Rain Man. He plays Dustin Hoffman's second banana mm-hmm. and Dustin Hoffman gets the Oscar. And like nobody's, nobody even nominates Cruz, but he's carrying so much weight in those movies. But like the offer to do Color of Money means the world to him at this moment because, you know, he gets this call. Martin Scorsese wants you to do a movie with Paul Newman, who has always been like his template for an actor. Like he wants Paul Newman's career. Do you think he and, has it? Uh, I think he won't have it again until he starts doing dramatic movies. But like once more, I think he has to, I hopefully like he does these Mission Impossibles, top, like Top Gun, he too, he gets whatever like box office thrill he needs to assert that he is still a gigantic theatrical movie star. And then maybe he can go back to like acting, acting again. But when he get, but when he gets that call as he's wrapping up Top Gun to do a movie with Martin Scorsese, he says in interviews, I knew right then that Top Gun wouldn't be the only kind of movie I could make. Like he doesn't want this career. He wants a different career. He wants the color of money career and not the Top Gun career. Right. And I think that you see him dipping his foot into that multiple times to mix success, right? It's like, Eyes Wide Shut, Magnolia, Vanilla Sky. Like, you know, I think he's yeah. trying these other things, you know, and and pushing himself, whether it even, you know, I think that like him doing collateral is a big deal. Like, you know, I think he's yeah. trying to find that mix. And then when his personality starts messing things up, he retreats a little bit. That's why I get so frustrated with his modern day career, because even though I individually like most of the movies he's doing, the Tom Cruise that I find interesting to like think and write about is the one who like made a point of working with every cool director and like being so eclectic. And now that he's just winnowed his world down to like Christopher McQuarrie and a few other people, yeah. I, he's not challenging himself the way that he used to take very seriously. He very seriously wanted to stretch his limits and now he's kind of stopped. And I think that's a bummer, not be like mostly because I think we're being robbed of really cool, interesting stuff I wish he was making. Yeah. Because if he is one of the only actors we have left who can open a movie, which he sort of is, you yeah. know, even though, you know, less and less because like nothing opens anymore. Uh, we're, I, I want, I guess I just want to live in a world again. We have an actor with so much charisma that they can follow up, a, you know, a Navy pilot movie with like a drama about a guy and his brother who's on the spectrum and that movie will do just as well. You know, that movie will also hit number one. I wish we lived in that world. And I think he is one of the only people who could do it. Weirdly, I'm putting a ton of faith in Margot Robbie. I think Margot Robbie has like massive potential to be like a huge movie star, but it's just all the rules have changed, you know? So I don't know if anybody gets to be Tom Cruise anymore. And that makes me sad. Well, I think that the I think that the idea of what a movie star is is changing constantly. And you could probably make the argument that like, you know, even somebody like Jason Momoa, who's a very big, you know, you would say, oh, Jason Momoa is a big, you know, the next rock or whatever it is. It's hard. It's hard to be like, oh, I want to see a Jason Momoa film. I'd rather see him in these franchises that I like, you know, where like right now, it, like the franchises kind of carry a lot of the bigger actors. I would, you know, um, you know, and I think you look at the, the Rock is probably the exception to that rule at this point. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's but other ones. That I'm fr- when he would try to do stuff that wasn't franchise, most of that didn't work either. 
Like yeah. The Rock kind of winnowed himself down to doing only a very certain type of very big, probably Disney funded movie. You know, and then I think you have Ryan Reynolds, the Ryan Reynolds, the Rock. And I mean, you could probably make an argument that's Chris Pratt are three, you know, three actors who are, they can probably get any movie made, right? Uh, whether or not they'll be successful. It's just harder, I think, to find what that movie is. I think that Tom Cruise can hold out and say, I'm not making Top Gun a streaming film. I want to make a movie yeah. this way. I'm going to make two Mission Impossibles back to back. I am going to do a movie where we go up to space. I, I don't know if anybody else has that much pull. I think that The Rock probably has the most pull Next to yeah. him. And, and I think that I, I think then he I has think, the pull, yeah. but I don't think he has the range or the need to challenge himself, mm. which is why, yeah. like, I just, I right. value Cruz so much. And I, you know, I mean, not only did the Will Smith Oscar thing make me sad for nine million other ways, but he, I think, was the next closest thing we had. Right. And so that makes me sad. Um, Brad Pitt doesn't seem quite as interested in any of this anymore. And yeah. I don't think he was ever quite as. I don't think he was ever quite as powerful of a draw on his own. I think people just adore watching his face. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's like the the Hollywood I love is best exemplified in Cruz. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is a really interesting conversation. And I know we're keeping some of his personal stuff out of the picture, which I think is good for this conversation. But I will say that... Uh, this is a great bad movie. Like, I, 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 like, <laughs> and, and like, in the sense of it, it is a perfect distillation of an '80s Bruckheimer Simpson film. Uh, I think that you know Beverly Hills Cop is a much slicker. Like, you can see the trajectory of the movies that they make, and then that Bruckheimer has continued to make, and how Bruckheimer continues to evolve. But this is a very '80s type of thing that, to all their faults, or I should say, to Don Simpson's faults, because it seems like Jerry Bruckheimer is always nose to the grindstone. Um, you see what can happen and how you get the right people together for a movie and it really, really works. Yeah. And, and they tried to do it on TV and it didn't work. I mean, mm -hmm. did, they did this, they tried to do a show called Super Carrier that was basically oh, wow. this. Like the opening, I'll play just a little bit of like the opening credits. The opening mm -hmm. credits are just ripping off everything of the opening credits of Top Gun and, you know, trying to be that same kind of like cool, cool movie. I mean, you have to hear this vibe. When the Navy saw the first episode, they like pulled their cooperation, banned the production crew from filming on the USS Vandegrift, and the show got canceled after eight episodes. It was a very huge disaster in 1988. But fun fact, two of the actors are interesting. One of them is Dale Dye, who we interviewed on our platoon Oh, episode. yes, we did. Yeah. yeah. He's in it. And the other actor who's interesting is Gerardo Meja. And, uh, you know this man. You may not Ooh. know that he is Gerardo Meja. You may know him by a different name. Rico. Suave. Oh my gosh. Rico Suave. <laughs> I love that song. That is a very hard karaoke song, but I have tried. You got it. You think you know all the lyrics, but you don't. No. You don't. Snow it takes a lot Farmer? of practice. Oh. Yeah. Anybody who can do Snow Informer is like 
grand champion karaoke. That song is hard. Uh, I mean, look, uh, you know, Devin uh, chimed in that he r- r- prefers the Weird Al version, uh, Taco uh, Grande, which I just played for my kids <laughs> the other day. Um, I will say this. Uh, I learned that lesson the hard way uh, with a ludicrous song, as a matter of fact, because you think, oh, I know this, but you uh, then it just it, it, it's gone crazy. Oh, yeah. Oh, very much. Very much. Yeah. I miss karaoke. Uh, I know. But so this film comes out. The reviews are very mixed. Very mixed. Really? Oh, yeah. People were not really a fan of this. Uh, the serious critics, like they thought it was truly absurd. Uh, people talked about Cruz being miscast. They said he has a good body. Like that was a lot of what yeah. they talked about. He's got a good body. He's got a good smile. Uh, the LA Weekly says he overdoes his smile, that he should study Jack Nicholson to see a master conserve his assets. Uh, but nobody really seems that impressed by this film. It's sort of like that movie did a good Y'all all yeah. want to see that? What's wrong with you? Uh, and the review that I pulled is from my beloved Pauline Kale. And Pauline Kale really drills into her issue with this movie being a lot of the relationship between like Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise's characters. And here's what she had to say about it. The strapping Kelly McGillis spends her time in Top Gun sidling into rooms and leaning against doorways or slouching or bending so she will not overpower her co-star, the relatively diminutive Tom Cruise. In some scenes, she stands slightly behind him, resting on his shoulder with her body contorted into an S so that their heads will be on a level. And all the while, she does her full-blown best to leer at him sexily. The best part of the movie comes when he's suffering. He speaks in a little boy voice and looks such a nautilized, dinky thing. Trying to install courage in him, she says throatily, When I first met you, you were larger than life. When McGillis is off screen, the movie is a shiny homoerotic commercial, as if masculinity had been redefined as how a young man looks with his clothes half off, as if narcissism is what being a warrior is all about. What is this commercial selling? It's just selling, because that's what the producers know how to do. Selling is what they think movie making is about. The result is a new art form, the self-referential commercial. Top Gun is a recruiting poster that isn't concerned with recruiting, but just with being a poster. Interesting. If you want to look at it that way, you can see it that way. I mean, that makes sense. It's like there, but it's like, how do you treat it? And I think there's an idea of you treat this movie like it's a popcorn movie. It's really fun. But then this movie is like also like, yeah, we have to see what, but is it disguising something? Are we like, are we, you know, are we just dressing up, you know, something a little (laughs) bit more dangerous? I don't know. And by the way, I would be, I, I was surprised by how many reviews mentioned the Nautilus machine. I think the Nautilus machine had just come out. So uh, everybody was very excited to talk about Nautilus machines and like how everybody in this film got their abs, which if Nautilus machines are that great, I kind of want one. <laughs> what are they? They're just like, they kind of look like torture. Nautilus machines right? are they're no, like, they're just like, they're just the, the, the gym machine. They're gym machines. They're just, that's the brand Nautilus. It was like, it's, it's, it's like when you sit down like a bench and you could change the weights and that's a Nautilus uh, machine. It's you know, it's a, you I know. always think I want one and then I buy one and then I get rid of it and then I want another one. I get want the, another get one the right mirror. now. The mirror is the way to go. It, it's, it's a mirror and it's this exercise and you don't need machines and that's it, you know? I know. That, yeah, that's why I got rid of it the last time. It takes up too much room. The mirror? No, the Nautilus. Oh, the, 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 Nautilus, or, yeah. the Nautilus. The weight, the weight lifting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Pulleys, yeah. bench thing. No, you don't need all yeah. that shit. Um, anyway, Amy, what a fun conversation. And I, I just think it, we'd be remiss if we didn't um, just talk about how it kind of connects to Porco Rosso. I mean, obviously, it's two movies about fighter pilots. And I think that there is a there's a there's an interesting dichotomy here. Obviously, you know, Porco is Tom Cruise. You know, but with the reflection of the Tom Cruise who makes Born on the Fourth of July in a way. 
You're right. He's almost like a Tom Cruise who's past this point and like even more cynical. Like he he probably once was the Tom Cruise and then he got even worse, right? Yeah. And and I think there is something interesting in these two movies, both trying not to be war films, but both also being like, eh, being a fighter pilot looks awesome. I mean, I think there is, you know, there's like a maxim, like you can't make an anti-military film about the military because it always just looks really cool. You're like, oh, but look at the plane and oh, but look at the guns. And I think these two movies do both struggle with that. Um, as much as, you know, I loved talking about how seriously Miyazaki took trying to criticize like the ideas of just like war and encroaching fascism. Indeed. And, you know, I, in a weird way, I would like to see I would have liked to have seen Top Gun Maverick be like uh, a Porco Rosso tale. Is it is it does it does it does it have a similarity to it? You know, I kind of feel like you and I should do a mini episode on it because I've I've been not talking about it, not to spoil okay. things, but I really just want to talk to you about it. All when right, you see I it. can't wait. All right, let's do that. Let's let's do okay. a mini episode. We're going to keep our uh, our high flying stories going. And by the way, you know what? It might be interesting too because we've been talking a lot about animation. I just read your review about Chippendales Rescue Rangers. Maybe we, um, I don't know, push them together what? because uh, <laughs> because, because they both I, wear flight jackets. Well, look, I mean, I think that they're both reboots of uh, 80s properties, but more importantly, too, it it goes to two things that we've been talking about. I I think one, obviously, our animation debate, uh, what a great way to kind of contemporize our animation debate, Uh, but also, I think it's also interesting to look at, you know, both of these movies, and maybe they're not full episodes. Who knows? We'll see. Well, we'll see. I think it's worthy of uh, at least bookmarking that these are two movies that we should maybe I mean, I'm very excited to talk about Chippendale with you once you watch it. Yeah. That's going to be crazy. And also... Oh, I get to talk soon to my uncle about what he thinks of Top Gun Maverick because Ooh, he's going to yeah. go see it opening weekend and then he's driving down here. Make because, him go see it in IMAX. Yeah. Well, he actually did the Tom Cruise thing. He, um, after he retired from the military, now he just likes to race cars for fun. And so he's taking me to the racetrack and we're going to drive around in his Mustang, which I have done before. And it goes so fast. It's very fun. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, this is great. Uh, and Amy, to continue our animation month, we're going to wrap it up officially, even though we're going to do these minis. Uh, with uh, a choice that I think a lot of people knew we were going to do. But I feel like it's worthy of talking about, you know, uh, a bigger bigger movie of recent memory. Um, And that movie is Into the Spider-Verse. We've had this conversation a lot. um, And I think it's an example of a really... uh, a really fantastic animated film that uses a bunch of different styles and a bunch of great ideas. Um, so I'm excited to kind of talk about that on the podcast as well, because I think it's maybe our first Marvel movie, right? Oh my God, is it? It might be. Well, if we are going to begin, that's probably a good one. I think you're right. I think you're right. All right, so take a listen to the trailer. In your universe, there's only one Spider-Man. But there is another universe. It looks and sounds like yours, but it's not. My name's Miles Morales. Hey, kid. You're like me. How? I knew my day would come around this time. I know it's complicated. You want to know what happened to you? I can teach you to be Spider-Man. Mm, I love this burger. So delicious. Mm, one of the best burgers I've ever had. You have money, right? I'm not very liquid right now. I think you're going to be a bad teacher. I 
how am I supposed to save the whole world? You can't think about saving the world. You have to think about saving one person. One thing I know for sure, don't do it like me. Do it like you. Brooklyn! And you can get into the Spider-Verse wherever you get it, your movies. I mean, at this point, uh, you don't need to know that much more about where to find that one. <laughs> That's an easy one. Um, but uh, no, I'm very excited to talk about it. And I also think, you know... Uh, this is an interesting film too. There's yeah, there's a lot to there's a lot to break down there. Um, so all right, into the Spider Verse. We got our mini episodes lined up. We're into the Top Gun world. I can't wait to get more into all this. Uh, what a great conversation! Ah, oh, it's been so fun. Can we do like a bunch of Tom Cruise movies someday? Can I would we just like, figure like, out excuse. People I are mad at us that we've only done one Miyazaki. We we have so many people to cover. So many people. We'll get to them. Okay. Oh, born on the Fourth of July. Oh, I don't even know which one I would pick. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. All right, all right, all right. Next week. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.